0: On this week's episode, Lee Griffin points out crimes against
1: humanity.
2: What's the T- What's TAA mean? I don't even know what that means.
1: Technically advanced aircraft. It's just, uh, it's autopilot. Oh my God. That's something,
0: it's something they've added since we did it.
1: Yeah, it's just a three-axis autopilot. So it controls everything except for um, throttle and uh, rudder.
0: Blue Lee's mind right now. He, he didn't realize this change since we did ours. Now he's all stressed.
2: No, I'm not really? stressed. I think that's a crime against humanity. But <laughs> I just can't, I can't wait till they fly themselves. Then I'll fly everywhere.
0: Scott Boris pins down our first time guest with the tough questions.
3: Probably, oh. huh? Probably hard to uh, learn how to fly in Florida because how do you avoid the uh, controlled airspace? There's too much of it down there. Can't can't fly through that.
0: I talk about the technicalities of solo endorsements for students, like we had thirty hours of dog fighting, like over Lake Erie like right. before we before we took our private. I don't like, think experience. I don't think Don
3: knew about that though. I don't think our no, instructor knew about that it, it wasn't
0: explicitly said in our logbook that we weren't allowed to do that though
3: we, no. we were
0: <laughs> we were staying
3: in the local area. I can't find anywhere in the regs that it says you can't dog fight.
0: no, so. I don't think we broke any laws. It's just no, more no. laws of decency. Um, yeah. And guest Brendan Saunders uses the FAR AIM book to question the FAR AIM podcast host. I don't think you're right, Lee. Okay. I, I can't point to the reg. I don't know the FAR Brennan, AIM Brendan, are you well. looking up anything? It
2: looks like you
1: are. Uh, I'm trying to look up the reg because I think you're incorrect because I think anytime you're in VFR conditions, you need to be, um, even if you're on a flight plan, you're you're legally responsible to use, see, and avoid. Uh, yes. Um, Uh,
2: Yes, and I didn't say that wasn't the case.
0: Welcome to the Far Aim Podcast. This week we have guest Brendan Saunders joining us today. Big throwback. First Florida pilot guest we have on the show. Usually they're all up in Ohio. I figure I get my uh, fellow Florida pilots. Represented. Represented Word of the day. Good job, Lee. Thank you. What was the, what was the <laughs> one <safe>. last? <laughs> it's safe. Um, <laughs> we brought Brendan on this week. Um, I mean, we've been trying to get him on for a while now. I have. Uh, we finally made time tonight. And um, Brendan, uh, Brendan and I worked at, the, uh, at a car dealership for a year together back in, what, 2013 or 14, Brendan, when I was there?
1: Yeah, right around
0: there. Yeah. So, um, best we know each other.
3: Been there?
0: Well, the, be... I was, I went to a different dealership. Oh, okay. You're right.
3: You're that right. was my first year in the business. I was yep. with Brendan.
0: Yeah. So Brendan helped. Brendan helped like, you know, show me the ropes on how to treat the customers nice. Um, so we'll leave it at that.
3: <laughs>
0: so Brendan, um, I get chatting with him. I don't know how we ended up talking years later. Uh, which brought us to this. Ye, Brandon has gone through from zero hours uh, to, uh, I'm just going to make it up right now. I don't know if it's a term, the CFI Triple Crown. Is that a, the no? We're starting it now. CFI Triple Crown, which is the CFI, the CFI double I, which is instrument. And then I always mess up the multi, Scott. So what's the multi again? You always correct me on?
3: The Malt, M-E-I, right? The M-E-I, yeah. Yep, I miss. Yep. Missed, yep. yep.
0: MEI, um,
3: I know that because I. I mean, I have I have my MEI.
2: Yeah, you don't. Nothing in between, oh. but you have the private and the MEI. Yeah, yeah the private, private and the MEI. Yeah, I don't have management God,
0: though. God's making stuff up. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's in, in ten months. I don't know if I clarified that when I was.
3: That is ridiculous.
0: That it is. It's it's impressive.
3: It's um, impressive. I I suppose if you do it like it's like it's your job. You can and it's done, but
0: and it's part sixty one. This was not done at a one forty one school. So a lot of times you hear this um, these quick these going through the ratings very quickly is part one forty one that Brendan did not do that he did part sixty one. So Brendan, what uh, what sparked this transition with you? You were uh, back in December. You were working for the uh, the car dealership still.
1: Yeah, um, it was people and how much they suck. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that they do. That's why yeah. uh, that's yeah.
0: one of the main reasons why I left the auto business uh, <laughs> a few years ago.
1: Now i've uh, I've always gotten into jobs chasing money, and yeah. uh, just slowly started to realize. Uh more and more. I, I always had a burning desire to go get into aviation ever since way back in the day there was a charity event for my sister's middle school and I got up in the air and it was a little Cessna and flew it and uh that always just stuck with me in the back of my head. And um I don't know, man, after ten years in the automotive industry, dealing with people on a daily basis, customers, high end customers you just want to go fly to a little island on your own. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, just had more and more pilots coming into my office, burning, uh, lighting that torch to make me want to make the change. I actually had, I was hunted down by a investment, uh, an investment banker wanting me to work for her firm for a long time. And, uh, I got the job and, uh, I actually got an assistant service director position at the dealership as well. And uh, Brian was going to start moving me towards maybe become a service manager. And uh, both jobs, I just my gut told me not to do it. And uh, I ended up giving my uh, six-month notice because it's hard to get service advisors. And uh, made the change in December into aviation.
2: That's so when when was that plane ride? That first plane ride? What age? Do you remember, roughly?
1: No, man. I was
2: I'll take a guess. Yeah. Eight. Seven. Eight. Yeah, wow. And Just you're how stuck old with now? you?
1: Thirty three, as of September fourth.
2: Wow. Wow. Well happy birthday. But uh okay. I mean that's so that's been I mean, I don't want to say a
1: long time coming, but you've had that dream for a while, or at least a okay. little bit. Yeah, not not the aviation background, parents in aviation, anything like that, but yeah. I always remember my like my mom's always like, Brian, you remember when you got up in the plane and the pilot let you take the controls? And in reality in my head, I'm going, Yeah, I remember it was like yesterday, I touched the yoke and went, uh full forward, full back and let go and that was it. But that's what
2: Scott do too. Right. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, that's all I'm allowed to do. <laughs> Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's awesome. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, so many, a lot of people have a similar story like that, not necessarily for a charity event, but they go up on a small plane, pilots them at least think they're flying. It sounds like you actually did something, but you know, you let them, you know, think they're flying and yeah. you know, that kind of, you know, plants the seed a little bit. And so that, that happened around eight, nine for you, huh? Yeah.
1: That's super, awesome. super. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just always stuck with me and, Actually, believe it or not, throughout the last six years, I've kind of uh, misfired in trying to get in my private license and would go an hour here, an hour there, and then stopped because I was just, you know, being in the dealership, you're working stupid hours, and especially as a service advisor, I'd go in at six in the morning and leave at eight at night, so And then like three years ago, three years ago, I did about 10 hours up at uh, Fox Shop 45.
2: Mm, Yeah, we hear uh, about that one a lot, that airport.
1: Yeah, I did did about 10 hours up there and um, just got back into season at the dealership and just didn't go back. So I always had the desire to do it, just never pulled the trigger to fully do it. I,
2: I mean, I don't know if you guys can back this up, but I mean, you hear that a lot like people are like, oh, I kind of always had the dream. And I, so I took a lesson and then I didn't fly for another two years or it's just this little bit of desire. And it's just ever, you know, whenever there's like some kind of stress event happens and their, you know, their um, midlife crisis pops up and, and they go do a lesson or whatever. And that kind of satiates the need. And then they come back around, but they're just kind of throwing money out the window. If you're not you know,
0: if you're not consistently doing lessons, it is very difficult to make progress, if not you, impossible. Yeah, yeah. It's, I would say the more minimum, frequently like, once you do it. The, the, yeah,
3: the more frequently you do yeah. it, the, the quicker you're going to get it done.
2: And so, yeah, like we, the, the cheaper we have, it's going to be done example. too. Oh,
3: much cheaper. That's I mean, and that's the bottom. If you do, line for, well, if you take a lesson once a week, it's going to take you twice as many hours as if you do five lessons a week.
2: Right. And so it's like, it sounded like he kind of, you know, took some time off and just knocked it out. And I, so yeah. I had, and I've talked about this before, but I just want to kind of paraphrase it. I had, you know, you always have people with a budget. This is my budget. Well, it's like, well, okay, we can put that into one lesson or we can break that out into multiple lessons a week and you can make up ground like, you know, Hey, I want to do one lesson a week at this cost. Well, we can add 10% more cost to your weekly, but, have double the number of lessons, which means you're revisiting all of those, you know, concepts, all the pre-flight, all the, you know, everything else twice as often. You're only adding 10% more time, more money to your, you know, their weekly expense, but you're, they're revisiting the concepts twice as often. And I've made progress with people that way when they're on a very fixed budget or, you know, at least, yeah, what they're, what they're willing to spend on it. And it's tough when people are like locked in like that. Like, oh, I only want to do one hour or I only have enough to, to do one and a half hours a week. Well, that's that's going to be tough. Like like Scott, like you're saying. I mean, It'll cost you more money in. in the long run. It will. Oh. Yeah. yeah no, we your it. weekly cost will be good, but your overall yeah. cost
0: to get the license will be sky high. We all took years to get even our private, correct?
3: Yeah. Well, yeah. that's because we started. So, I mean...
0: Well yeah, we started
3: before we were old enough to solo. Yeah, too. you started before. Yeah. I forget I forgot about that. Okay. What what age can you get a private again? Is it 17, 17 or 17? Yeah. Um, for, so for I mean, airplane. We, we like we started flying when we were fifteen, fourteen 14 or 15. So
0: Yeah, ironically, you're, you're the good. one on the show that soloed on your 16th birthday.
3: I did. Yeah.
0: Which is Yeah. Impressive. Yeah,
3: I started taking lessons when I was fourteen. I used to ride my moped over to Sandusky.
0: Yep. So Brendan did not go the route we went. Uh, it wasn't dilly daddling. So Brendan, walk us through that. So you decide to, um, you basically you have this this thing nagging at you that so like hmm. I should be a pilot. You got what would you say JetBlue customers coming in? Some of your um some yeah. of your customers were jetBlue pilots, and you'd be talking in your office with them and so you're you're getting the bug. you did ten hours at foxtrot forty five and that got back into season. What was kind of the tipping point from there?
1: Uh, being offered um, knowing that I had to make a decision to take a step into really being um a hundred percent into the automotive industry and then Uh, getting a job at an investment firm, uh, knowing that I had to make a decision. And uh, right then and there, I kind of realized I didn't want to do either one of those. And that was my tipping point when I got the job at the investment firm and knew that um, right around the corner, I had to make a decision with the dealership at the same time. Um, That kind of coincidentally made me realize what I wanted to do. For sure. Okay. So then,
0: how did what school did you end up going to?
1: Um, uh, ATP.
2: Okay. Down in South Florida yeah. here. And yeah, so, I, so they have a 141 program, right? But that was just not the route that you ended up taking. You ended up doing right. it
1: all once or part 61. Yeah. And yeah, what was I the reason for that? 141 program out in Arizona.
0: I. Mm. Not down in Florida, though. It's par-
1: no. Okay. Uh, the, well, the reason for ATP is the time frame because, you know, you have your mandatory retirement age. And I could have done uh, any route and you run into two things with what you were saying earlier with the money. Um, the money wasn't an issue getting the private license. It was a time for me. Um, but you realize how much money you burn through, like in 10 hours, I think I burned through almost three grand flying once a weekend, once or twice a weekend for 10 hours. And, um, it, it's more 30 years old, 32 years old, 31 years old, knowing that I'm making a career change, knowing that I have a required retirement age, the longer it takes me to make my decision. And the longer it takes me to get all my licenses and my 1,500 hours, uh, the less time I have in the industry. So, um, you know, you can do so many different routes, but ATP is the quickest route when it comes to that. Not for everybody, um, but it definitely is the quickest route and also the best route when it comes to um, their ability to get government funding being recognized for student loans now.
3: Okay. What What is the mandatory retirement age?
1: 65. 65. 65. Part 121. Part 121, yeah. Yeah.
2: So if that's the route you wanted to go, I can see you're up against that. I mean, I think most of Europe has already done age 67 just because of the, what was a pilot shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, I Who knows what we're going to do now, yeah. but there's definitely Any, not a pilot shortage, there's right now. Not a shortage It used yeah, to be 60, no.
0: though, didn't it? It used to be 60. Yeah. They changed
2: that
1: um, Yeah, several I'm years not sure. ago.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know if that was like 2003, 2004, but... Yeah, somewhere back then.
1: Okay. Yeah, because I, I wasn't sure which way I was going to go, if I was going to go private or corporate or the regionals. Um, I just always had told myself 65 was a mandatory retirement age, just in case, you know, I did want to uh, settle with doing like Delta's JetBlue's, even like Alaskan Airlines. So I, I kind of had to get everything pretty quick in my mind.
2: Yeah, and I mean, even still, I mean, even if like like even if you settle into a good corporate gig, I mean, do you want to be working at sixty <laughs> five? I don't, you know. Yeah. So you go to ATP.
0: How many hours did you have when you started with ATP? Do you know roughly or eight eight point five
1: something like that? I have my logbook somewhere. I think it's like eight point five.
0: Okay, so it's yeah, you're in that very early territory. So yeah, I am now. <laughs> You go in with them, and then so, like, what is that first chunk going through? Because you're you know, from the beginning that you are going to basically rapid fire through the ratings, right? So, like, yeah, I'm just curious because obviously the three of us did this uh, very differently. Um, in a lot of ways, we took way longer than most people do for various reasons. Um, what is that? private you start the private what does that look like like how often are you flying how quick are they expecting you to solo that sort of thing
1: yeah um, I wish I could still log into my my account um, flying you know the, they want you so there's no schedule that's why it's a part 61 school but it is uh, schedule a hundred percent they push schedules without a doubt and uh, they usually want you to fly about three times a week. Um, yeah, fly about three times a week. I was pushed back on doing my cross country solo because of weather, because I had to go here to India Sierra over to Punta Gorda and back and, um, waited three weeks to solo because, uh, the school's weather minimums, I think were three statute miles, 2000 foot sailings at, uh, all three locations an hour before an hour after and uh that put me back about three weeks what the hell's my logbook i want to tell you how long it actually oh here it is
3: probably oh. huh probably hard to uh learn how to fly in florida because how do you avoid the uh controlled airspace there's too much of it down there can't can't fly through that scott scott if brennan didn't know
0: uh he takes out a sectional. This is the only reason he takes out a sectional or looks at four yeah, flight you, is just to you completely avoid out the, the circles. Yeah.
3: You take a take a black Sharpie and you just cross out the, the controlled spaces. If
0: any if any flight requires you talk to air traffic control, Scott yeah, just, you don't make does not flight. do that flight. Like That's
3: Scott's like flying through hail. It's like- <laughs>
1: Transitioning through like a delta or anything like that, you
3: whoa, don't even want. Whoa, whoa, to... whoa, whoa. no, no, no no. Whoa, whoa. no, 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 no. Might as well be yeah.
2: a TFR. Scott's not going.
1: Yeah,
3: well. yeah. <laughs> just think of them as TFR or hail, heavy hail, <laughs> yeah. tornado, heavy maybe.
1: <laughs> F- yeah. Three quarters right
3: <laughs> Oh God! Golf ball oh, sized hail.
1: Yeah. What do we no, call that? No, I, I
3: mean I, I'll <laughs> transition to it. Uh, you class. Delta, I'll even fly into a class Delta, but if you get into you get into Charlie and Bravo, that's
1: no go.
0: Well, Brennan's looking his logbook. Yeah,
1: it was uh, December December third to March twentieth for the private. For the private, okay. And that's I mean that that's seems fair. like
2: logical to me. That's where you're getting so much of the knowledge content. It's that's yeah. the foundation, and you
1: just build upon that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Would have would have been done three weeks sooner, but. You know weather, so it's about what three, four months, three months to do your private at yeah. ATP.
0: And then, wow. what aircraft were you flying in?
1: Uh, Piper Archer. Oh,
2: oh man, that a boy! That so, a
1: boy.
0: Brandon, Brandon's on Team Piper now. Yeah. As, as, we, as we mentioned, one eighty-one. That's
2: right.
0: As we mentioned before, the air the whether you learn a Piper or a Cessna. You are you. You prefer that brand for the rest of your flying days. Like it's just it all depends. Like Chevy and Ford. You yeah. Know? yeah man. Whatever you start with, that's what you just automatically are into the rest of your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been renting through um, uh, airport, at, uh, Lantana, um, airport at Lantana airport at Lantana Palm Beach flight training, and I've been renting the Cessnas. I actually like the Cessnas. Yeah.
2: Is that what you yeah. would recommend to a person air cr- airplane shopping? Would you recommend a one seventy two similar vintage, one seventy two, or a Piper Archer? Archer, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but you're gonna yeah. get a, you're gonna be able to find a one seventy
3: two at a better price than an Archer. Well, you get what you pay for. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying, if you want to get into flying, one seventy two is probably a better. Uh, option maybe
1: maybe you get one of those you get a mooney 305 that rocket the 305 rocket you can't get anywhere quicker for a small single engine how fast is that i don't know what this is now
0: you're poking lee's buttons hold
1: on hold on (laughs) what is this
2: thing give me some give me some details on this
1: it's a m20 or m21 it's a it's just a mooney it was sent to a company and they upgraded it and they uh, call it a 305 rocket
2: Okay, and, and what's it got on it for a power plant?
1: Um, I'm not sure well, just they, roughly
2: how fast is it how many how many
1: knots true speed? I think they go about two two twenty or something like that.
2: okay, so how fast would it have to go to make two trips in the same amount of time as Saratoga does it in one trip? a lot okay. faster than two twenty Wait what? <laughs> I'm just saying, everybody wants to get these super-fast Moonies and Ciruses, but they only have four seats. Uh, well, so yeah, you're if you're trying to haul around, around. Yeah, if you're hauling six people, then. Or four people yeah. in baggage, Cer- which Ceratoga, is realistic. Which six, is yeah. realistic.
1: Yeah, we have, we have a DVD that when we do our nav logs, we do about 65% power, and he shits on us for doing 65% power and says, use 75 because then you're going to save on your annual. What are you doing? Use your head. Who yeah. said who says this? One of our DPEs. Oh.
2: Well, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, if you were to look at range and endurance and all that stuff, there's a huge difference in fuel versus um the true airspeed loss. Mm-hmm. I mean you're you're only you're saving thirty percent on fuel, but you're only wasting five percent in airspeed. It's not right. that big of a deal.
0: With the- we go let this go too long. I'm gonna have to change the title of the episode here. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lee's uh <laughs> Lee's How'd got some Excel
2: spreadsheets
0: on all these planes.
2: How did we <laughs> like, get to Mooney? We need to go back from there.
0: I don't know, but yeah, you know, we've been getting email on aircraft ownership. Lee I've gotten a bunch of email and Lee hasn't got any email. Lee is the one with the spreadsheets and the O C D Ness uh about the the <laughs> aircraft
2: statistics. So well, I mean, you know what I'm saying, but okay, yeah. so you were learning in the Piper Archer, the 181, yeah. and mm-hmm. so it took you about you had some weather setback, which, which that's inevitable. I mean, I guess, and some um, depending on when you start, which you started kind of in a bad time of year to do it to do your initial flight training. Yeah. Um, that doesn't, I wouldn't say there are better times to start, but there could be setbacks for other reasons, whatever. So, but you lost three weeks basically due to weather. Yeah. So the footprint at uh, ATP would had you done in about three months. And about how much flight time did you accrue in those three months? I'm trying to get a sense of like how much were you flying a week. That's what I'm trying. to
1: Yeah, we do about three flights a week. Um, ATP doesn't get you to your 40 hours. You're usually around. 60 to 70 hours by the time you get your li- your private license,
2: and I would say that's indicative. And we've run we've gone over this. You know, that's kind of indicative of the national population. You have the outliers, you know, coming out of a 141 doing it, you know, and the bare minimum. But I mean, I think what, I don't remember what we came up with as the national average. All the research we had done, it was, 16, it was 60, was, it was it? 60, 60 something, yeah, 60 yeah. some, 70 something, yeah.
0: And I didn't know that. That's that. That was an Uh, What I was going to bring up, and you brought it up um, for me, Lee, is the 40 hours to get a private. It's one of the goofy hour time things. And then you go to 141. Some 141 schools do it in 35 hours for a private, which just seems bizarre
2: to me. And so you were flying. So, yeah, sorry. I mean, did you have more, Rob, there? No. I just don't want to lose it. I'm like, you know. Um, So you were flying three times a week. And... If we were to put that into hours per week, what about would that be? Do you know Uh, about four hours a week then or something?
1: Yeah, the flights ranged from two hours, two and a half hours of flight, two hours of flight. Okay. So six probably six hours a week. So more. I guess so when some
2: as a, as a you know you know I used to fly instruct a lot and a lot of people coming in you know they a lot of people already know they want to be a pilot when they you know or they want to get their license when they come in they have a similar story oh I've always wanted to be a pilot now I have the my kids are off to college or out of college and and I have the time and I have the money and they've they've done a little bit of research some of these you know OCD doctors or whatever you know successful business people like what well, it's only supposed to be 40 hours i'm a doctor i can do you know i can i pick up things quick i'm a quick learner all these things so you did it in almost the best case scenario in terms of you're flying three times a week yeah. and pretty decent weather you had uh i would assume a somewhat um motivated instructor cuz they're trying to build time too they're paid not peanuts so not much at all. So they have incentive to get in these hours with you. They have no, there's no reason for them to 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 shortchange you and put you off and whatever. And and I would say you getting your private in four months is insane, uh, insanely quick. What would you say as an instructor that when somebody comes in the door and they're like, Oh, it only till you know, it says 40 hours. That's something we are always confronted with as instructors, as you know, professional instructors you have to somehow tell them break their spirit down a little bit and be like i know it says 40 hours that's the bare minimum and can it be done maybe but you have to be very very exceptional and i've not seen anybody do it i didn't do it neither of these two did it you didn't do it so what what i guess what would you say to somebody when they can't come into your office and they're like but i thought it was only 40 hours what would you what would you say to them? I know that's like maybe maybe you just edit this all out. I don't know what to tell you, but it's something it happens every single week. Somebody comes in, what do you mean it's gonna take 70 hours? You know, I only budgeted this much. It says forty hours. My buddy told me it's only forty hours. He's a doctor. Yeah.
1: I don't know. That that's a hard question because it's all up to the CFI. It's all up to You know, do I feel like I want to sign you off and endorse you for your test at forty hours? So, it I I don't know. Like, what do you think? It's insane. Do you think it's almost unrealistic that somebody?
2: I okay. Insane is the wrong one.
1: As insane
2: as having night VFR. As insane as having night VFR.
1: Meaning it just doesn't make sense. Like, I've never understood night VFR. Um, yeah. Where we go- think- no, hold on. Hold on. Where are we going, dude? Where are we going?
0: <laughs> well, this, this, this is
2: a ki- can, oh, can of worms what's, opening what's, up here. What's wrong? what's wrong with night VFR? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what he's saying exactly. So, meaning flying VFR, VFA,
1: flying, how can you have VFR at night, like training somebody in 40 hours is it to the in the eyes of the FAA, the FAA does everything based off safety, right? Your uh, crew resource management is all revolved around accident case studies, um, reducing the amount of accidents that have increased significantly. Um, and that's the same thing with the 40 hours. You would think it would be more than 40 hours. Um, and where I'm going with the VFR at night is if the FAA is constantly talking about safety, how can you say, yeah, we'll give you a private license in 40 hours and we'll allow you to fly, not instrument rated at nighttime. I just, I never understood either one of those two. Oh, okay. (laughs) Why is that a nerve? You don't like, uh, I didn't know what
2: you were, I didn't know what you were saying. So I was, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted, you know, the, the inside track on it, you know, what, what you were saying, what you were describing. That's yeah. an interesting that's an interesting stance. I haven't heard the the
0: night VFR brought up this way before. I'd have to think about it.
2: So I had a student who like their schedule, they you know, they want to start flying like in the winter and the days are short and they wanted to come out and they wanted to fly solo, a student pilot at night. Like and he was OCD, like three times more OCD than me. And That's ridiculous. I'm like, no. Well, yeah. There's someone more OCD than you? Right. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. And this guy is too. Um, And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. And he goes, well, why not? I mean, it's perfectly legal. I go, you know, and then what people don't understand is like, I am risking my certificate on you to go, you know, because it was was a situation where it's his airplane, all kinds of stuff. So like everything is like pointing towards he should be able to do what he wants. The law says he can if he's endorsed to do it. And it's his airplane. He can do what he wants with his airplane, right? And yeah, I get all that. I get all that. But man, be conservative and think about you know what you may be jeopardizing for you to go log an hour of solo time at night. But he wanted to do it routinely. He wanted to do, he wanted to do this every week. He just wanted to build time and learn quicker. And he was a good. He was a good student. He came prepared. Did very very well.
0: So what but did he, he wanted? Was, what did he want to do at night? It's like he wanted to solo maneuvers. at night. He wanted.
2: He wanted. He wanted to do pattern work and fly solo and do takeoff landings at night. I've heard Just, of that, but like Scott and I had a pretty like old school
0: laissez faire, especially with the solo stuff. As far as like what he'd sign us up for. We would have probably had, we never tried, but we would have probably had to do a little bit of negotiating to get Don to sign us off at night. Yeah. And we were, we were signed off with no restrictions. Like it said, stay in the area, like local only. And that (laughs) included other, that included other airports to like go get fuel and stuff at.
3: I flew at night before I got my private, but I was with other pilots. They weren't instructors, but I didn't do it, you know, by myself.
0: Like we had thirty hours of dog fighting, like over Lake Erie, like right. before we before we <laughs> took our private. I don't think like, I don't <laughs>
3: think Dan knew about that though. I don't think our
0: no, instructor knew about it, that. It, it wasn't explicitly said in our logbook that we weren't allowed to do that though.
3: we, no. we, we were <laughs> no, we were staying in the local area. <laughs> I can't find anywhere in the regs that it says you can't dogfight.
0: No, so. we, I don't think we broke any laws. It's just no, more no. laws of decency. Um, yeah. So anyway, Lee, well, you. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the I mean the forty hours. I mean, I just I don't want to say it's insane. I did use I did use that word, but I mean it's it's a little unrealistic. That's the bare minimum, and if you follow the you know just you need X number of night, X number of solo, X number of solo cross country. You need twenty hours of duel. You need these things, and cumulatively, I think they leave you with ten hours of play. And I, I can't
0: imagine doing it all by the minimum. Just because it's it's so opposite,
1: I can't even relate to it. No, like,
0: no, no. Like Scott and I had know, like a hundred hours when we got our private.
1: And and if you thought of, if you guys can think about when you originally got your license and when did you truly feel comfortable in the plane? Uh, I'm not like, there yet. Right, and and right, not, even, same well, here. not even like when I. Finally was like, you know, I got this like into landing. Like you got it because you, you solo, you get your license and everything, but mine didn't like click into sometime an instrument. Um, it was weird. Maybe it was more a confident boost. Like, Hey, I got my private license. Uh, I got this. And then, you know, you just needed that confidence, but you don't have that anywhere near 40 hours. No, not, not
2: even at all. Close. Not if, not if you're a rational human being. But yeah. what, and my, my question would be, what's the rush? I understand money. I get that. I do get that in all sincerity. But I mean, it's your life. It's the life of, you know, when, when, if the instructor says you're ready, that, that's the thing that, that I mean, that is that, you know, that's that green light, but don't push the instructor, you know, and I've, I've made this case. You know, finding an instructor. You know, going down the Part sixty one road, finding that instructor is such a critical component to your success. Uh, in having that, you know that that um, that sounding board as you go through these stages, because you're going to get into situations that you didn't intend. You're going to make decisions that you shouldn't have, and it's good to have a mentor type person that has experience not just instructing but are just a well-rounded individual who can weigh in on a plethora of of topics and you know that the, the kind of span the whole spectrum of what you may have gotten yourself into um and how to tackle a certain problem or address a certain problem and it's um it's important to find that person when you, when you're starting and grow with them um and I I just I find it I find it very, it was always difficult for me when people, you know, would kind of constantly question and push, you know, it's your signature, you know, and you're doing a flight review for somebody every two years, basically every 24 calendar months, you know, you're doing a flight review. So that person is writing on your signature for another, you know, two years. And like, you know, well, the reg, you know, 6156 or whatever it is, you know, you we, I need one hour dual or one hour ground, one hour flying. Like, Dude, you suck. You don't know anything. So, yeah, I understand the reg says that. But you're not even proficient. You can't do a single thing to standard. And, like, not even close. Yeah. And it's just like, y- yeah, you want to go by the minimum. And then tying it back into the private pilot. You want to go by the minimum 40 hours. That's just... It's not realistic, it's not safe, and you should appreciate, you know, hopefully you can have that that rapport and that respect, that mutual respect between the student and the instructor, that you can, you know, work that out. But I've, you know, and I'm abrasive, you know, but I've had other people that are no, abrasive. No, no. Well, I know it's hard to believe. No way. I know it's hard to believe. But you have <laughs> people that just push and push and push, and it's like, dude what wouldn't you don't you want that steep turn to be better don't you want that go around to be better don't you want to know more about this and some people are okay with the bare minimum
0: and before we move on from private here we do want to get this rolling I did find I published I published some of our stats off a private episode we did which I don't recommend listening to Uh, we're even worse than broadcasters back then than we are now But uh, Lee Griffin, six years, eight months, and 19 days spent on private pallet certificate.
2: Wow. Um, I'm a rock star. I'm a rock star. (laughs) You're fast, Lee. Slow Uh, down.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
0: We got almost seven years uh, spent on the private for Mr. Griffin. Scott Boris is two years, nine months, 15 days. Uh between That's first fast. flight lesson and check ride. Rocket ship. And I was one year, nine months, twenty-six days. So Brandon, Holy
3: you- shimmer horns.
0: You better slow Brandon down. Brendan beat that. us all at 10 months. So congratulations, Brendan. You won the private pilot uh, certificate.
3: <laughs> you get a gold star.
0: Time a uh, time, not time mm-hmm. hours wise. Lee, how old were you years. when
3: you started taking lessons?
2: Um, I don't know when my Oh, hold on! I don't on. know when my first lesson was.
0: First officially Dude. logged flight lesson was on Monday, February eighth, nineteen
3: ninety nine. You guys were too yeah. drunk when you looked this all up. You
0: don't even remember I have all this how,
2: data.
3: What year were you born, Lee? Eighty six. <laughs>
2: Eighty six. That's thirteen. Two thirteen. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I mean, it, arguably, it did mine take was when, me when I was fourteen. Anyways. So
3: that's yeah.
2: Yeah. But you ended up getting yours much younger than I ultimately did. Yeah, you probably took. Some I don't time think. Off. I think I was like nineteen when I got my private. Yeah, we yeah, made the mistake to get in the car out.
0: business for a second, didn't you?
2: Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I did everything to get myself away from my family.
0: Dealerships are the bane of the pilot's existence. Just let that be a lesson to the the listener out there. All right, so you're going into the instrument rating here. Uh, after you get your private you'd mentioned before you, this is when you start to get comfortable but obviously you're getting way more stuff thrown at you what's the uh f- your experience going through this fast track program at ATP
1: wh- what was the instrument rating like um you know I was really stressed for instrument cuz um the way ATP does it is they want you to have your written tests done pretty quick right off the bat um and I, because I had spent three weeks w- every single morning waking up, driving 45 minutes down south for a seven o'clock flight that ended up getting delayed, delayed, delayed throughout the day because we were doing everything we could to do my last cross-country flight. Um, I spent that three weeks literally just watching the weather, watching the weather, not caring to get ahead and study for instrument, the written and stuff. So I started instrument. And less than a week I had to do my instrument written. And that was the fault of your instructor, in my opinion.
2: Hmm. Well, they probably could they probably could have helped maybe keep that keep the train rolling. Yeah, this objective can't be complete, but there's still things we could be doing
1: right now. Yeah. You know, it's funny because when I um when I hit a point, because you know you have to do your test for your FOIs and do all that stuff. Um, when you start, you're not really like told for the most part, hey, do this, do that. When should you do your FOIs? And you kind of have to figure it out yourself. Like every, you know, nobody really tells you what to do. Everybody that I, behind me that I ended up uh, befriending, I'm, I've always told, dude, once you once you do your halfway through your private. Get your FOIs done because you're going to be at a point where you're like sitting there going, What do I do now? Like, I've already studied for the oral exam for private, I just got to get my flight hours. I feel like I can start my oral now. Well, then that's the time when you start doing your FOIs and stuff like that. Um, but like, I had to figure all that out on my own for sure. Um, but uh, instrument was good, it was it took like a week to click because I was so focused on studying for my written and. Stressed on doing my written uh, like a weekend to start an instrument, um, but it wasn't bad. Dude. Uh, when I when I was in eight when I was at ATP, we had four people at the same phase going through the same time. So I had a group of people studying uh, together, motivated with each other that we really helped each other out understand things. You know, group uh, group learning is you know the best form of learning.
2: Absolutely, no question
1: the yeah. only the only time I experience we're all morons, but we come out with the right information at the end of it,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's flying in general well you know you can watch you know um uh videos of them flying the space shuttle. they're making mistakes too. We're just all too dumb to know that you know it's so much above our head they're making mistakes. we're all yeah. making mistakes, that's why there's two pilots in anything that matters I don't uh,
0: Elon Musk just uses computers. Or right, Scott Boris, computers don't
3: make Yeah, I mean, I could fly a space shuttle, but that's, yeah, that's different.
1: Yeah, I, I firmly believe you need, all you need to know is the V-speeds and you can fly anything.
0: Scott's Scott's position is anything above 6,000 feet is outer space, so I don't know if yep, I take... Yeah,
3: space starts it at 6,000 feet, so I've technically been in space before with my 150. Yep.
0: Anyway, back to, so how long did the instrument take then? Like hour wise and like actual calendar wise.
1: Yeah, I did instrument in two months. I got my instrument check ride in May. Yeah, right. Actually, I'll tell you, I started instrument the day after obviously my solo, my private pilot check ride. So March 21st was my first instrument flight, and my check ride was May 12th. And I probably did instrument with 30, 40, about 45, 50 hours. Because I have in my logbook logged a total of 128 hours. Okay. 70. So a little more than that. Do you
0: Are you training in glass cockpit or traditional gauges?
1: Uh, glass. Okay. five hundred. Uh G two G four thirties and a G five hundred. Or a G four thirty and a G five
0: hundred. Okay. That is I mean, nowadays it's realistically probably the better way to learn, it, especially if you're gonna do a flight career. Lee's Lee's rubbing his head now, which means which means I he disagrees I with what I just said.
1: I disagree with you too. I, I personally feel I would love to have gone through private and instrument in uh, a six pack. Um, I feel like I would be way better of a pilot training, not in a glass cockpit for my private instrument uh, any any um rating that I would have gotten. I don't know. I wish I did everything in a six pack more than a glass cockpit,
0: really, okay, yeah. I just, I spent so much money trying to get mastered the G1000, like kind of doing that transition. That's like, it just makes me
2: like, why didn't we do this?
0: Yeah, yeah it, so it can it, go
2: it, both ways. Yeah. yeah. You know, if if you learn, if you learn the steam gauge in the six pack and then you go to glass, I feel like it's an easy intuitive transition. You get more information in some spots. So this one thing I've always wondered because I've never flown any glass and G in like GA airplanes and like part twenty-three airplanes. So do you have a trend vector on the airspeed indicator? On the airspeed tape? No. So it doesn't I, tell you where you're gonna be in three seconds?
1: No, I wanna okay. say it does it on the altimeter.
2: Okay. All right. So, like, in everything I've flown that's glass in part 25, we have it on the airspeed indicator. And that is super nice. So, like, it tells you where your airspeed's going to be in three seconds.
1: Yeah. Three we seconds in have, advance. We also flew the G1000s. I did the G1000s for like two or three flights. And they, they have the trend on it. I on the, the airspeed indicator? On the G1000s. Yeah.
2: Okay. I yeah, believe so nice. I
0: believe that's right. All my all my glass times G one thousand,
2: oh my god! So when I went from the airlines having it and then going back to uh, Lear thirty one A, that's basically steam gauges again. It was <laughs> so hard when I was doing my initial type rating. It was a mess because you're pulling, you know, you know, a, a whole knob width of thrust lever, and that was too much. Now you're halfway up, and because you, you don't know where it's going to settle out at the end. So it's it's just a different it's a different skill set a different feel. Now I'm back in the Lear 40XR that's got the trend vector again. It's like oh my god this is so much easier. So it's 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 there's more information. It's just with the most glass, I guess, just where where you're where you're finding it, where you're looking at it. But all the six pack is still there. There's just additional information. Okay. But yeah, I, w- I would I would say learn on the on the steam the steam gauge six pack if you can. That's all I'd have. you know, If I were to go personally own a Piper Archer, because that's the best entry-level airplane there is, um, nah. I would have steam gauges. Okay. I, would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't okay. see a okay. reason, though.
3: Not everybody okay. can afford an Archer, Lee. Anyway,
2: I'm not even talking bad. about money. Some people need um, a Cessna. <laughs> why weren't we, why why we flying them in the islands, then? Why weren't we flying Cessna 172? Maybe, so awesome. Maybe you should have no, been. Maybe you should yeah, have been. No, we shouldn't have. Why? It wouldn't in that. We did fly the two hundred six back in the
3: you day. You should have been flying to the to the islands.
2: Why did you what guys? Why did you guys switch from the two hundred six? Because those that, those model year two hundred six had the um, Continental IO five twenties, and we just didn't really know. And I, that's a sto- almost a story for another day. But we didn't really know enough about Continentals. Were you going through engines too fast, though, Is that, was that they were the going issue? through cylinders because the ideology at the time with that the maintenance personnel at the time. Um, were a little old school or whatever, however you want to say it, and you know they would run compression on a cold engine, and it would be like no compression, and yeah. you know you gotta, now kind of, you got to warm up for sure. That that's no brainer, and then maybe they started doing that, but compression doesn't tell you the whole. That doesn't tell you the whole thing. So yeah, you, you know the the compression you the the. the PSI you're putting in there from an air compressor to ferrite compression is not even remotely indicative of what kind no. of pressure is going on when the engine is running. Yeah, that's a, a leak Yeah, yeah. No. and barely. So when yeah. was the switch made to like the Saratoga then? Well, we had those at the same time. That's what we had. We had Cherokee 6s and Saratogas. Then two, a couple 206s came online. They went through like 80 cylinders in like 10 years. Insane. And then they started What's topping this. Go ahead. What's the, the two hundred six has what engine in it? The Continental IO five hundred and twenty. Back right. then, and then the, the which toga has the Lycoming IO five hundred and forty. Okay. And now two hundred sixes today have the IO five hundred and forty, and I believe the only two hundred six you can get anymore is turbocharged. So the T TIO five hundred and forty. The stationary. Yeah. Um, the stationary, which is amazing. Well, I mean,
3: obviously the older ones, though I have to.
2: Yeah, I have the IO-520. So, you know, I have a lot of seaplane time. I Well, not a lot, but, you know, 50 hours behind an IO-520 um, in a 206 on floats. No, zero issues. I, I mean, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. I would Am- ha- not even Amphib. hesitate.
0: Amphib or straight?
2: Yeah, it was Amphib.
0: Okay.
2: Anyway, um, back yeah. to so, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Why, you had a poignant thing to...
2: No, archer, archers are... All the best right. entry level airplane.
0: We'll let that
2: marinate with the audience.
0: We'll let that debate settle for this episode. Uh where were we in the uh <laughs> the Brendan Saunders progression
1: on uh flying uh, so in I, South Florida? I did it in forty seven seven hours is usually what ATP allots for an instrument. Okay. And that's
2: what you did it in? Like exactly
1: for- there. Uh, well, that's I just added it up. That's what I had. So I'm assuming they do it right around fifty or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. So okay. the FAA minimum again is forty,
2: and so yeah. you did it right around the minimum. I would say that's within the margin of error. Um, I don't remember what our numbers were for for all of us, but well, no um, my, mine mine was did, around in there.
0: I did my instrument part one forty one. It's the only one forty one program I ever went through. So I got it in thirty five hours. And I can't fly instrument worth excrement. So that should give you an idea.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, if you don't use it, you'll lose
3: it. But yeah, I mean, right after you graduated, you might have been able to do it. But anymore. Yeah. I never the, the, actually got my instrument, but I was like pretty damn close to being able to take the test. And I don't know shit anymore. But it, back then I could have flown an instrument and I, I'd have been fine.
0: Shoot a couple approaches. Yeah. yeah
3: I mean, if I, if I had, if I came into instrument weather, I would have been, I wouldn't have worried about it. Like, we both did it doing.
0: out Burke Lakefront in Cleveland.
3: Yeah. I did a lot out of there. We talked, to, to we talked
0: to, we talked to ATC.
3: Yeah. That was back, a little, then, a little, back in those no, days. Back Scott. Then, yeah. Back then, it wasn't so scary. Yeah. No, nah, you don't want to talk to those people anymore.
0: Oh, again, We need Lucas Hahn on the show.
3: Um, yeah, he's ATC. He's uh he center controller somewhere. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know. Doesn't matter.
0: Um so you you get your instrument rating where we're on our progression here. Uh I, I mean the next for, for I know I was commercial. Is that the same progression you do with with ATP?
1: Yeah, so because commercial you need 250 hours and I'm only at like what one one thirty. um, we do, uh, crew time. So basically ATP has us fly around, um, with another student. And, uh, one of us is our Foggles and the other one is, so one's pilot monitoring and one's pilot flying. So that way we both log time. Uh, one just logs, to cross country time, but we both log PIC time. Okay. And we we do that for thirty five forty hours, and then the remainder is sim time.
0: I had no idea about this, Lee. Did you know about being able to do this?
2: Well, I knew it had to be possible, and we've yeah. covered this before. Because, like, let's say an airplane pops up, who's going to grab the controls and avoid them? The pilot monitoring in this case. So you both have to be able to log PIC. Yep. As a safety pilot, they're calling a pilot monitoring, which I agree with. And I think that is a really good use of FAA terminology instead of safety pilot. I think that sounds stupid. Uh, Uh, pilot monitoring is a, that gives that pilot a job. A long time ago, they used to call it pilot not flying back, you know, pre 2008. Well, if you're a pilot not flying, what are you doing there? So you have to give that pilot a job and that pilot is now monitoring. Yeah. So that's a really good, that's that's kind of something we've described not in those terms, Rob, but yeah, we that's what we talked about with somebody being a safety pilot. They have to be able to log PIC because who's going to take the controls to avoid that airplane or that goose up at altitude, whatever.
0: Okay, yeah. so I know we got a lot of guys, um, based on some emails I've gotten that are uh private pilot level, haven't delved into the instrument rating yet. Explain, let's go in a little deeper, like, so... Pilot monitoring, pilot under the hood.
2: They're flying. A pilot flying.
0: Pilot flying. But that the pilot flying in this case would be wearing a hood so that all they can see is the instruments. Which Correct. during your which during your instrument rating is a process you'll go through where you basically wear this thing on your head that blocks your vision from seeing outside the window so you can only see the panel as if it was like, you know, you were in clouds or fog. IMC. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, instrument meteorological conditions. And then to do that when you are not actually in those conditions, it's clear and sunny out, you can still practice that wearing this hood. But to do that legally, uh, you got to have a rated pilot sitting in the seat next to you with the controls as well, who is actually looking out for those other aircraft. Because when you're flying visual flight rules and just practicing, there's other airplane that aren't practicing. They're not abiding by the instrument rules. So you still need to... Um, see and avoid other traffic
2: is Mm. how I would wrap that up. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the way uh, Brenda, correct correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think one way to get around that, I don't know if you kind of prefaced it, Rob, but if you file IFR, if you are an instrument-rated pilot and you file IFR, in that case, I would say you no longer need a safety pilot, legally speaking. You can't throw on a hood, though.
1: Why not? Yeah, you can. Well, all our all our flights were uh, um, flight plans. So me being under the hood, I was the pilot flying. I was the one filing the flight plan, while the person to my right, pilot monitoring, was doing all the comms. Uh, yeah, not doing all the comms. We kind of we also used it as uh, like a CRM practice as well. Um, go ahead.
2: Well, so I mean, so I guess we're talking two different things. You're talking, you're, you're a private pilot doing this. No. Or, and I'm, I'm, well, of course you're a private pilot, but you're, you're working on your instrument rating or you already have it.
1: Uh, we're instrument rated now working on our uh, commercial. Just like time building. Yeah. So,
2: Okay, so this I think maybe maybe my wires are crossed, or so maybe I'm wrong. Could I not legally go take off, file IFR on a VMC day, and wear a hood the whole time?
0: I don't think you can legally do that.
2: Why not? Alone, if you if if you
0: can if if it's clear in a thousand and you can see at the plane, you need like there's other people that are not in the IFR system that. Can
1: legally fly around you.
3: Why would you want to do that? What's point?
1: Take off and VMC. Yep. Put the hood on alone and fly around. Yep. You You cannot do that.
3: Why not? Point. Why would you want to?
0: Because you can hit other airplanes.
3: You can hit them when you're. Yeah, I'm saying like, why would you want to do that? What's the point? I I agree
2: with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. What I'm saying. Lee, are, you try,
0: are you trying to like test us like because this is highly no. illegal
2: why is it highly illegal because you- i can go fly in the cloud on an imc day it's still my responsibility to see and avoid why can't i do it on a vmc day
1: because in a cloud you're on an instrument flight plan right no so i'm
2: already saying you're on an i'm saying it's vmc That's- you're on an instrument flight plan oh.
1: You're in an instrument flight plan on a VMC day. Why can't you put your hood on?
2: Yeah. You probably can, but why would you want to? No, no, no. Hold on. I want to hear what Rob has to say.
0: Are you flying in airspace where VFR aircraft could be around you?
2: Yeah, but why can't I? Then you need a safety pilot. Why? I'm on an IFR flight plan in controlled airspace. It doesn't matter.
0: Oh, you're in controlled airspace. Define controlled airspace for this. Um discussion.
2: e b c d Class <laughs> E
0: I could go fly Scott could be freaking fly yeah, still flying around. controlled
2: airspace I'm on, our, on an IFR flight plan
0: yeah but Scott can be in the 150 and he's not paying attention either because he's Scott
2: but I'm on an IFR flight plan in controlled airspace so I'm talking to ATC
0: Scott doesn't give
2: oh ATC are you talking to
0: about you flying on a-
2: listen and listen good. Scott has a transponder, doesn't he? Yes. Do I have a transponder? Do yes. I have it Can on? You- Maybe. <laughs> they're still going to point out traffic and they're going to give you a vector so that you don't hit them. Do I even have my battery master on? Maybe. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, and it may be illegal. I'm just kidding. I, 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 have don't the the, on, I don't I'm, see the issue.
0: I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Why? I don't know. We have a, a podcast that's about the regulation, so I feel like one of us should know this, but and I, I can't point Somebody to the reg. Should, usually Lee's the one who'll know this. This is the first
2: time I don't I'm, even, I don't I'm even hard the hardcore arguing.
0: I, he, he might be right. I don't know. but I don't think you're right, Lee.
2: I,
1: okay.
0: I, I can't point to the reg. I don't know the
1: far Brennan, Are you well. looking up anything? It looks like you are. Uh, I'm trying to look up the reg because I think you're incorrect because I think anytime you're in VFR conditions you need to be um even if you're on a flight plan, you're you're legally responsible to use see and avoid. Uh, um,
2: yes. Uh yes. And I didn't say that wasn't the case.
1: But you can't I be now you you can't be using see and avoid if you're under the hood, because you no longer have a pilot monitoring,
2: I can't do that when I'm in a cloud either. But they still point out traffic to you all the time, even though you know you can't see. Yeah, them. I know that, but you,
0: there's VFR, yeah. there's VFR traffic requirements for them to stay away from the clouds. So if you're in a cloud, VFR. traffic If there's not a lot two to be there.
2: IFR target, Rob, if there's two IFR targets in the same cloud, they will still point out the other IFR traffic.
0: Yeah, they're separating. And it is still,
2: it is still your responsibility to see and avoid though. Okay, that doesn't when mean you're you can IMC, throw IMC. the hood. I'm, I I just open up the far aim myself.
0: Lee, okay, let me preface this because Lee, is very sick. He came to this. He is doing oh, the yeah, episode that's true. now.
3: I think he has coronavirus.
0: Um, it's possible <laughs> he's got the corona. He said he was tested today, and it came up negative. Yeah, but, I don't
3: um, buy that. I want to see the results.
0: Uh. Before you the have, three coronas, the papers he did
3: see. I can't read that, Lee. Your, your webcam's not very good.
0: Wow, he literally has the form with his coronavirus test. He's showing us. Okay. Yeah,
3: who did the coronavirus test, though? Um, All right that that doctor right there. Well, it's that like... doesn't that doesn't say Doctor Fauci, Mrs. so I don't bloodhound. <laughs> <that's... laughs>
0: um,
3: if it doesn't say Doctor Fauci, I'm, I'm sh- thinking
0: sh- I'm thinking that that is incorrectly yeah
2: well um,
0: I can't point to the reg um, I'm sure when I edit this and hear all this I'm going to look it up whether I leave this in or not this section um,
2: I just, I'm, okay so if, if nothing else sense. it's been food for thought
0: F- food for thought okay
3: <laughs> um, if you're hungry, call it
0: that. But anyway, I was my original point was I'm making up some excuse for Lee. Lee is under the weather, so that may be why he's thinking this is okay.
2: Oh no, no, I wouldn't do it. I mean, I'm not saying that I would do it. I'm, I'm pretty about the sure this is highly man.
0: illegal. Brendan, even though he's a guest in a brand new CFI, he's probably the most pretend- up to date. Yeah, which is a, a point I wanted to make at some point during this episode. Brandon probably has more of the technicality knowledge,s right now because he's gone through everything in the last ten months than Lee Scott and I combined on some stuff.
3: I know a guy who stuff. I know a
1: guy who knows everything. I'll, I'll just ask him.
2: Yeah, yeah. Send send him a text.
1: Yeah, I think uh, ninety one one thirteen Bravo um, doesn't. So rules, as you guys know, are up for interpretation. A lot of them depend because they are worded great sometimes um but and we've covered this one yeah what 91 113 bravo yeah yeah but that would be the responsibility of uh seeing a void right yeah if you're in the aircraft alone which would which would not allow you to wear the fogos if you could interpret if you could um look at it that way because if you're in the aircraft alone and 91.113 Bravo states that you have, it's your responsibility to, when you're the sole manipulator of the aircraft, when conditions permit, regardless of weather, uh, it's your responsibility to use, see, and avoid. How can you do that under the foggles? You're, And you can't assume that you have traffic, because now you're assuming every aircraft in the air has traffic.
2: Well, there's that, and it's not even airplanes. What if it's a bird?
1: Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, perfect. Good point. So yeah. is this
0: whole thing just to try to like play devil's advocate?ly You're just messing I'm, with us, right?
2: No, no. I'm not necessarily messing with you. I was just posing a question, which here, uh, Brendan found for us is clear as day when can, when weather conditions permit, and I expressly stated it's VMC, but I filed an IFR flight plan. So that relieves you of some things, but not all things. And here it says, unless it's conducted under insert flight rules, or it doesn't matter whether it's, what, what it's conducted under, vigilance shall be maintained by each person operating aircraft. So as the seat avoid other aircraft.
0: So let this be a lesson to everybody. and Brendan, hold on to this ability to look stuff up that quickly for as long as you can, because you're going to get to the point where like... You've got like more hours and experience and years you've been flying, and you'd be like, I don't know what that is anymore. <laughs> like I haven't, yeah. I haven't cracked that book open in like
1: five right. years. Yeah, you got yeah. the twenty fifteen edition. Like Scott, me...
0: Scott, what's your most recent edition of the Farim? Oh,
1: two
3: thousand three.
0: <laughs> you are a host on a podcast about the book, and your most recent edition is two thousand three.
3: No, it's probably not 2003. It's probably, probably 2005.
0: Oh, my God. Lee, next. <laughs>
2: 2016.
0: Oh, God. I'm I mean, saying- I have
2: one from work, the digital one. So
0: Okay, I'm sending you guys 2021 copies for Christmas this
3: year. Jesus. No. Mine's no so, 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 well, 2005 or 2006, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Maybe seven, maybe anyway. seven. Probably not though. Pi six. Are any
0: more? Any more poignant remarks about uh, your experience with the instrument rating, uh, the way the
1: way you went through it, Brendan? No, not really. It's just uh, it, it's a grind, and it's you know understanding very confusing stuff with you know, VORs and approaches and even down to what I consider simple. Now at the time, it wasn't simple, like understanding what RNAV was, LNAV, VNAV. You know, it's just super confusing when you'd shoot an approach and you'd be like an ILS. What? So am I shooting a GPS approach or what? Wait, what? What's going on? And it's just, you know, it it's that aha moment that you get but you have to fight through it all throughout instrument until you get that aha moment with all these different types of approaches and uh, different uh, ways of navigation for sure.
0: I think that sums up my instrument flying experiences. I have not had enough aha moments uh, with that in my flying career. So your rated instrument, this is how you're going through your commercial now. We, I think, beat the horse dead as far as pilot wearing a hood pilot, looking for other traffic as a way to build time. So you guys can both log PIC. Typically you couldn't have two pilots in a, a small airplane that's just rated for one pilot, both logging PIC. But if one is under the hood practicing instruments and one is, is pilot monitoring, you can both log that PIC plot time. Are you splitting the costs in this situation? I'm assuming for that time or
1: how does that work they do two for one so um i think the aircraft rental was i'll make it up because I, I only focused on the total at the end of the day meaning as of a week and a half ago how much i was spending out of pocket which was about 80 eighty five thousand for everything up through mei um but it, yeah they charge you half half cost of the aircraft rental um, but they're getting full cost, but they charge you half cost because one student pays half the other student pays half, okay,
0: yeah, so you're basically splitting it so you guys both log the p i c and get half the price to get up to that two fifty mark, right?
1: yeah, well, two hundred mark okay, so you're and going up to two hundred yeah, then we do fifty of sim time, not we've done it, we've done some sim time during instrument, actually a lot of sim time during instrument, a lot of sim time during private, okay. What
0: kind of simulators do they have? Do you know, like the Redbirds or?
1: No, we used, uh, what are they, the ATDs?
0: Okay. I've I've never used one, but I, I know of them. Yeah. ATD, that's a brand name?
1: Uh, no, they're just not. Um, you can legally re- use up to 50 hours of them. They simulate an aircraft, but not a true cockpit, and they're not movement.
2: So, what's the A stand for? Aircraft. It
1: could be aircraft. I could tell so you right an, now. So, an FTD
2: is a flight training device. An ATD yeah. is a maybe an aviation training device. I don't know. There's a lot of A's that could you know fill in the blank there. That's that's interesting. So, I guess I mean I guess that makes sense because I know like an FTD, like for an instrument, you could do like your whole instrument rating in an FTD. Yeah. Or, or, you know, depending on what the certification level is.
1: Yeah. Because you the FTDs know. are uh, full simulating and movement movement. Well, no, that would be a, that would be a
2: simulator. That'd be a full flight sim.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. FTDs that's right.
2: are still stationary. As far as I know, you probably know better than I do at this point, but. Like all the FTDs, like any airline or anything, those are all stationary, but they are representative of the of the you know cockpit, flight deck, or whatever. So I don't know yeah. if that's maybe maybe the difference.
1: Yeah, that is. I know that is one of the bigger differences because ours is not um, representative of like the Archer or an actual airplane itself. Is it just uh, a generic airplane? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. So you got to 200 hours, you know, and I know you were probably doing some, you know, you're doing some of your hours during your private in the in the ATD, some during your instrument, but so we're getting to you know basically around 200 hours.
1: Yeah, the ATP really ne- um, hits the nail on the head. They get you like once you're done doing uh, crew with another student, you're at Almost spot on, two hundred hours. And then once you add up all your simulator time, by the time you hit your calm single check ride, you're at two hundred and fifty with fifty hours of uh, simulator.
2: Wow!
0: So is that the next check ride you take after your instrument check ride? Is the commercial? Yeah. And is that single or multi-engine? You're doing that in. Uh, we start off in doing single.
1: At what point do they bring
0: in multi-engine during this program?
1: So I had the program and a couple other people had the program backwards um, because of COVID. And they shut down the CFI um, portion because you'd go up to Jax and do CFI in a classroom setting. And coincidentally, there was no classroom. So we did COM single. Then we did comm multi. But the program goes COM single, CFI double I, COM multi, MEI. Okay. So I did commercial single, followed by commercial multi right afterwards. All right. Yeah, and uh, that took me June to June. Technically, that was June 1st. And had my single and my comm single check ride. Uh, July 1st. So a month. Okay. Wow.
3: So that's, that's pretty quick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was quick. I was double flying uh, a lot for a commercial single engine. I was double flying every day. And what type um, of
2: aircraft was that in?
1: Arrow still, or? Still the Archer. So the Archer. So yeah, we was, were one in four lines an Archer location. So we all, 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 anybody that goes at that location is going to be flying Archers. So you,
2: but you had to have 10 hours in a complex or something to take the check ride?
1: Yep. So what we, they do is they have um, Cessnas and you do TAA time in the uh, Cessna. So we did um, we actually double dipped on that. We did you know you need your two hours of night as well. We double dipped and we did our ten hours of t a a and that included one of our two hours of night flights with a hundred nautical miles okay so that's, we we did dip on that that's for
0: re- uh, constant speed, retractable gear. And flaps for...
1: Yeah, one of the things for um, commercial single you need is 10 hours in a TAA complex or turbine or something like that. Um, We ended up only getting our 10 hours in TAA. We do eventually get complex because we fly the Seminole, um, but we don't fly the Seminole until afterwards. What's the T? What's TAA mean? I don't even know what that means. Technically advanced aircraft. It's just, uh, it's autopilot.
2: Oh my God.
0: It's something. It's something they've added since we did it.
1: Yeah, it's just a three-axis autopilot, so we, it controls everything except for um, throttle and uh, rudder.
0: Blue Lee's mind right now. He, he didn't realize this change since we did ours. Now he's all stressed. No, I'm not really?
2: stressed. I think that's a crime against humanity. But <laughs> I just can't, I can't wait till they first fly themselves. Then I'll fly
3: everywhere. I don't want to have to do anything. Totally looking forward to fully autonomous aircraft.
2: Well, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be soon, dude. It's not no,
3: going to be pa- soon. Uh, probably not.
0: Where were we in the actual topic part of the episode? Are we, weren't we talking about flight instructor you got your the single engine com after the instrument, right?
1: Yeah, after instrument, I did com single, and then com um, single. You're supposed to go to CFI, but I ended up doing MEI. I mean, a uh, com multi, and uh, I got com multi done in ten ten days. Okay, eight eight or ten days, and um, then from com multi had like a couple of weeks off waiting for um, CFI ground school to start and then started CFI.
0: So that's and, when I texted you, cause I've been trying to get you on the program since you got your instrument rating uh, back in May. Uh, yeah. So um, I remember you said you were driving back from Jacksonville. I was going to have you on the, we're, we're trying to line up a show right after you were drive past your check ride, but then you were driving back from Jacksonville. Um, yeah. So, you go up to Jacksonville for the CFI school for ATP. They don't do it down in Lauderdale.
1: yeah, so right after right after instrument it's it falls to the wall like it's literally nonstop, so it was impossible to do anything with me right after instrument. but um no, so the first te- technically the way ATP does it is if um, you go up to Jacksonville for a month. And um, you get everything done up there. But because of COVID, you stay here for the first two weeks. And we do Zoom ground school for two weeks. And then uh, go up to Jack's for the remaining two weeks to fly and get endorsed.
0: Okay. And then, so you, did you take your CFI initial with an FA FISDO? Or did they assign you to a DE? Uh, we had a DBE. Okay, yep. Are they still doing that though? You do need to get you, you have to apply with the FAA first and if they don't have time they assign you a DPE or do you, can you just go straight to the DPE now?
1: No you have one or two choices if you want a free check ride wait a couple months and get a FAA examiner you can do it that way or our school automatically um, sets us up with a DPE
0: Okay is that yeah. has that changed, Lee? Because you and I did not have the option.
2: As far as uh picking your own DPE or them or um uh your own DP or the FAA. Yeah,
0: Brennan, could I mean, you could you have picked a DPE or were you assigned by the FAA a DPE?
1: So I don't do any of that. We have a um a uh, training support person that schedules all our check rides for us. Okay. And does everything for us. Um, I, w- I know just based off of all the check rides that I've done, we have like down in the Fort Lauderdale executive location. We have three or four, three DPs that we only deal with and we only schedule through. And then up in Jax or CFI, we have three DPs that we only schedule with. So, I'm pretty sure they ATP chooses their DPEs.
0: Okay. Because, Lee, you and I, when we did it, we basically applied to the FAA to get a FISDO to do it, and then they were too busy at the time, so they would assign a DPE to us. and There was really no choice.
2: Yeah, that's... Yeah, I mean... <sighs> that's the way i understand that it went you know at the time you know you're just kind of along for the ride a little bit and you're just hoping to pass and you know instead of being more involved with it like i would try to make a, if I, if i were an instructor now um sending a cfi applicant i was trying to make them you know spearhead a lot of it cuz like this is what you may be doing in a couple of years or something cuz i think you have to have a couple years before you can recommend other uh cfi candidates um applicants i believe but it's 24
0: right calendar months yeah
2: 24 calendar months yeah whatever um i think yeah i think they pick one and i think in my situation i think there's really only like one available or one that they wanted to use or something like that so it was the same guy who did all my other ones anyways but yeah, I, yeah, I don't think God. we got. I don't think we got to choose at all. I know I didn't get to choose. I applied
0: down here at the um, Miami. Was it Miami Fisdo? Where's the FISDO down here? I've been to it once. It has been a while though. Um, they didn't have anybody available, so they assigned me the late Ed Amato out of, out of Lauderdale Executive, who he had also done my uh, commercial, and I got along with him pretty well. So I was kind of like, "Oh, cool, it's Ed going to do it." Um, as we mentioned in a previous episode, I-, I wonder if he was, I wonder if previously he was, a an ATP on the list. He since passed away. I was told right. he used to be buddies with Lee's grandfather, huge fan of Lee's grandfather. Hell of a man went, uh, I've mentioned this in a previous episode. It was a commercial check ride, and he was like going through the normal stuff. And then he found out I was buddies with Harry Griffin's grandson. and He's like, that's all you want to talk about. And he's
2: like, (laughs) (laughs) oh man. I hope the next generation can say the same shit about the same stuff about us.
3: Yeah, they probably won't. No,
2: they definitely won't say it about you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, whatever. Scott,
0: how many airplanes did you? Speaking of grandpa's and yeah. air, we did an airplane ownership episode a couple episodes ago. How many planes did your grandfather
3: own? Was it, uh, it's some it was, insane number, it was, isn't it? Yeah, it was eighty something.
2: Okay.
3: I'm on six. I'm on six, so
2: you're falling behind, man. What are you doing? Yeah, I'm working on it. You gotta carry on the legacy. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was in his I think it was seventy or eighty something aircraft he owned, but I'm on. I'm on six, six right now. So okay, there. gotta catch up. Chop chop. So anyway, we got but your, your the, initial. As long as it as long as it counts, if you don't fly them. He yeah, probably... by
0: airport. Five of those six. In case Brandon doesn't know, the audience Never who's listening to this, um, Scott loves aviation so much that he buys. Perfectly good airplanes from loving owners and then uh, scraps them, part, them and sells all and sell the parts the part. on eBay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, for real? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so it, See, Brennan's getting it. <laughs> so I it. I hate airplanes. <laughs> so Let's
0: take airplanes
2: so, out of the sky.
3: Right. We, whatever you can, Michael, head, whatever you can to the get them out of the sky.
0: Brendan's new to aviation still, right? So he's still, give it, give it like a decade, Brennan. We'll have you back on the program. Eckle, eckle has been in it too long too. He was our last guest and he's, he's just, he's on board. Um, so you bet you got us, your the ATP people assigned you your check ride for your initial CFI. How did that go? Terrible. Yeah. Like
1: probably the worst check ride I've ever had. Um, I, uh, didn't feel like I was passing it. Uh, a hundred, like every second that went by, like I was at the point where I'm like, "Yo, just tell, just tell me we're gonna discontinue, or tell me that I busted, so I can just leave." And like that, it was just the worst check ride. You, you, and you know, the, the one of the main reasons is because you're not guided. You know, when you get up there, you're not. There's, there's no guidance. There's no direction on where to put your information where to study what what am I doing what's a what's a lesson plan how am I going to make lesson plans like you know how many lesson plans do I need um there's nothing um no guidance for that it's kind of like just put you out here um put you in out to the wolves and um you know you have students around you that can help you figure it out and uh it was stressful, man. I told myself if I failed, I was going to go home and not do aviation because <laughs> I just wanted to leave Jacksonville. So bad.
0: So I would. I had a rapport with the the check ride, the Ed Amato, late Ed Amato from my commercial, with as I mentioned two minutes ago, um, and I would say my my experience was the same way with the CFI check ride. I just assumed I was passing the whole time. In fact, when I, we were walking back to uh, to Palm Beach Flight Training, which you had said you mentioned earlier, uh, that's where I did the the commercial and CFI. They had set me up with Ed for the commercial, and then the FA set me up with them for the uh, for the CFI. Uh, don't uh, don't mention uh, my name or that you know me if you're looking for a job there. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, <All right. laughs> we'll leave we'll leave that story lay for a little okay. bit okay right. n- another episode um, oh, I lost my train of thought now but no he. we're walking back to uh, the, the office little FBO office thing on the side of Lantana Airport there the, where Palm Beach Flight Training is and I'm just like I didn't know like I feel like it did okay but like not to see if I level but like I couldn't think in my head anything that would have caused me to not pass it, so I just I had no idea. And then Ed goes, "Well, he's like, you're you're part of the ten percent." I'm like, "Oh God, this is the lecture. This is how the lecture starts." Because um, I up to this point I had never busted a uh, checkride before. He goes, he goes, as a first time CFI applicant on your first check ride nine times out of 10, I don't pass people. He's like, you're the, you're the one in 10 where I, you, you pass, you did, you did good. And I'm like, Oh shit. That's, and it was just like such a relief. I'm like, okay, don't say anything stupid for the next you know, <laughs> 20 minutes or so. I got to deal with this. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, but the, the whole thing, like I did no like every other check ride it took, I was pretty confident I was fine. CFI was not one I was
2: confident at all during it. It's like it's designed that way.
0: It is. It's it's like you're getting put through the ringer and you're flying in the right seat, which is like, you don't have tons of time in percentage-wise whenever you're taking that check ride. And it's like, you get you're doing maneuvers and they're similar but you're like you got to vocalize them and like teach them and like you said you get a lot of free reign it's not as it's not like this 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 it's like okay give me a lesson you know about this and then they're just silent yeah. and then like you got to pretend like they're a student and like go through this whole spiel and if you say one thing wrong it's like you know
1: <laughs> yeah we have we have two D we have three dps one of the dps does not allow you to use lesson plans. Um, He expects you to have lesson plans, but during the oral, um, you're not allowed to open them and use them. You can use the PTS um, for a reference, uh, like an outline, but you're not allowed to refer to lesson plans, which is crazy because as an instructor, you're you know you never want to give out information if you're not sure about it you want to always be able to refer to something and he you know he i don't know i have mixed emotions on how he does his um oral but he does not allow you to use lesson plans at all won't let you look for any look at anything just only the pts
0: and this is the one you did your check card with
1: no, I didn't okay. do my check ride with him. I had a check ride with someone um, who does not have like a gouge. And um, his check rides change up so much because he knows students talk to each other. And it's like, hey, I had so and so. Uh, and he had me teach, um, you know, the learning process followed by logbook endorsements. And, you know, some DBs have a script and they never change. And uh, he hates people knowing that. So he's never had similar check rides. So I studied as much as I could. That way I was um, familiar with uh, almost anything and uh, could refer to my lesson plans. And as long as I could look at a lesson plan, put it on the board and just use what I put on the board, I was fine. So I studied that way. Okay. So, and I was also super stressed and I stressed myself out because, like you, I I never had a bust. And um, I told myself my, you know, the first, um, my first four private instrument comp single and multi, you know, I got out of the way, which is big for the airlines. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay. The stress is off of not busting a check ride. But uh, I think I put so much more emphasis on not busting CFI that I stressed myself out because I did not want to bust.
2: Oh yeah, I was the same way.
1: Oh, uh, it was horrible.
2: I busted my CFI initial. Yeah. Oh, I remember uh, that. That was in Chicago, right? No. I did that. I didn't I didn't take any check rights in Chicago. Okay. Well, I'd technically the way they did it is you did your double I first and then they like backdated it or some who, dumb thing. Who busted it? And you? so I what's that? The God? Yes. Zeus. Yeah, Zeus. Zeus busted you? Yeah. What? Oh, but I hadn't flown in a month. So he's like, he's going to fill out my, like, you know, unsat in my logbook. He goes, you haven't flown for a month? I was like, no. He goes, oh, my God. The Students at the at the the college, you know, they get three hours the day before their checkride. And I'm like, yeah, right. I haven't flown in a month, whatever. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I busted. I mean, it was totally my fault. It totally sucked. It was observed. I had an F.A. in the back. I mean, it was it was terrible. I don't blame him, but um, oh, that's a whole other dynamic because he can't even like.
1: He can't let you slip up at all for the most part. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he he told. I mean, it was that all that
0: valuation is almost more on him than you if the FA. Oh, for sure.
2: Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, he's got to he's got to keep his integrity intact at all costs, which I get. So, and it was terrible, anyways. He should have failed me even if the
1: FA wasn't
0: there.
2: It was bad.
1: (laughs)
0: He is Zeus,
1: though. Right, yeah, but uh, thirty percent of the people fail their uh, initial. I mean, thirty percent of the t there's a thirty percent pass rate for the initial.
2: Yeah, well, I made sure that was true. Um, Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad.
0: I don't know. Ed Amato told me this. The late Ed Amato. He, if there is someone, I don't know who would be able to verify this. He told me he had a 90% fail rate for initial CFIs. Um,
2: I think that's what American Flyers said, too. It was 90, and I think American Flyers used to say it's a 100% fail rate if it's observed,
1: (laughs) which I think that's an American Flyers said. That's not fair to the student, though. uh, I disagree with that. It happens that way. You
2: will do a lot of observed stuff like in like at the airlines, there's a ton of observed, oh my God, the only thing I've ever
0: done with the f a observing um is the the checkout to get on the waiver to tow uh banners.
2: It's the only time I've ever had the f a there
3: or,
0: and that's
2: probably more representative of what you're going to fly or what, you know, the type of FA interaction that you're going to see, like going to, you know, the airlines or any corporate operator or, you know, a 135 certificate. I did um, observed rides at, you know, um, when I was flying the islands, I would do, you know, like one th- 135 initial check rides. I would do those observed. I did two of them there, but you do them all the time at the airlines. It's a totally different dynamic. That's CFI one. There's something. And I get it. They're giving you a license to teach other people how to fly or go make mistakes and go kill themselves. So I get it, you know, but yeah, yeah, you do a lot of observed stuff at the airlines and other stuff.
1: This for you, who's checking your student from the day you sign them, endorse them to solo, who's double checking that you're making that right decision?
2: nobody at a 141 school they have you know phase you know phase exams or phase yeah. check rides or whatever but yeah par 61 typically no one
1: yeah the faa trusts you they're they're giving you that cfi cert to basically say yo we're not double checking anything you do when you you authorize someone to solo so I, I so the same thing that you're saying i get why the failure rate's so high um, I just don't agree. Why the failure rate would be high if there's someone from the FAA saying back? I just, I with that. Yeah, no, I, I, hear you. I hear you. I, am I'm, I'm,
2: I'm with you 100. percent Scott
0: is making noise. It was not me. Uh huh.
3: Okay, <laughs> I think it's okay. though.
0: Um, so, you did
3: the initial. It's. <laughs>
0: It's that really went well. Good night. Do you need to say goodbye to the audience and leave now, Scott?
3: I might actually. Are you, are you okay? It's it's like it's a only, two hour episode.
0: Well I've gonna edit out a half of this, so
3: so. okay. Well, good night, right. audience. Can I can I send on any <laughs> special thank yous or no?
0: Are you are you thanking Presidents of other countries or or well, tech maybe, CEOs
2: this episode. Maybe one or the other. As I mean, question. I think president like insinuates that they were likely
0: <laughs> elected. God, <laughs> God. Are you, oh, Scott, are you leaving now?
2: Yeah, I'm about to head out. Ten minutes, dude. Give
0: us give us till eleven o'clock.
2: <sighs> oh, that's fourteen minutes, bro. Fourteen minutes. We got ten.
0: All right. Um, I'm on
2: that train too.
0: So, yeah. Brandon, you passed I'm, your initial.
3: You it. then it was what a week
0: later where you went for your double I. Yeah, yeah. How I can't even comprehend this
2: rapid fire.
1: Um, you know, there's not a lot of flying. I mean, there's not a lot between initial and you know double I, and the. I think the reason why ATP rushes us so quick is uh, most of the DPEs are not testing you on teaching or anything like that. Once you go in for double I, um, because we've already done the the initial. So it's more um, refreshing on your skills that you've already shown that you can do an instrument. And um, now just talking through and teaching how to do an approach and then adding on putting foggles to do steep turns and then doing time turns and that's it. And I mean, well you can learn that in a matter of 10 minutes in an airplane i mean there's actually nothing to learn yeah uh for the most part with with time turns and turns under the you know steep turns under the foggles um so you know a week's time i didn't think a week's time was enough but um it it definitely was enough that was the second best check ride i've ever had okay what was the first my instrument okay I was just well, well ahead of the plane on my instrument check ride. That was the best, best check ride I've ever had. I don't think I made a mistake. Uh, Nothing in the debrief or anything like that. My two best. Nothing in the what? In the debrief after the check ride. Yeah.
0: My two best were private and commercial instrument. See if I were rough. Um, And then you went to MEI a week after that, right?
1: Yeah, so I I busted my MEI.
0: Oh really? What happened?
1: I jacked up, man. It was, you know, it was my fault. um, Obviously, Uh, everything was perfect on the MEI. And um, the very last thing that I had to do was a single engine uh, traffic pattern. And um, on the Seminole, we don't usually get below 82. And if you get below 82, um, you're done. Like the DPE will bust you. So I got below 82, uh, not even much, I just, just got below 82 and DPD pointed it out to me. Didn't say anything. He goes, watch your airspeed. And I was, uh, upwind turning crosswind and I was at Pompano, which traffic patterns 500. And he had told me to cut my engine at 500. So I'm cutting my engine and it was a mixture of two things. One during MEI, um, still you have your instructor cutting your engine on you right and then you're like oh, i'll maintain directional control pitch attitude airspeed make sure props start a full forward uh flaps up gear up you know you go through the whole checklist when somebody's doing it for you the first time i've ever cut my own engine was on my check ride so i'm cutting my engine i know what to do but i'm going i just i just cut my engine i know what to do and in my head i'm going wait do you want me to go through the checklist so like i'm like eating like two seconds. Three seconds at the same time, tra- traffic pattern is 800 feet, not 500 feet, 800 feet. But I cut my engine at 500 feet, which is the same time I need to turn crosswind. So I'm cutting my engine, having to turn crosswind, having to pitch down, um, zoning out on, oh shit, like I've never cut my own engine before, which you'd think it's super easy. You're cutting your own engine, just do everything. And I got uh, just below 82, pointed it out to me. Um, continued doing it landed then he took the controls on the and said okay back to FXE. you rate my landing as if i'm a student and i was like oh cool that's the end of the check ride because i knew he did that on the last uh portion and we landed got out of the plane and he said we're gonna have to do a recheck on the uh single engine uh traffic pattern so yeah so was that a change from the
2: pts to the acs he did not tell you that was unsatisfactory at the time
1: did not tell me it was unsatisfactory isn't that required yeah he actually states that if i do something unsat and i think he may by verbalizing that my airspeed was lower than it should be may have been his verbalization of unsat
2: i i don't think so because then you can choose to discontinue or continue yeah he didn't ask you do you want to continue no, no, no! Oh, that's some, that's some, that's BS, man.
1: You know what? Um, believe it or not, I, I, I'm thankful that it happened, and it sounds weird because if I and I never plan on being a multi-engine instructor <laughs> ever, um, yeah. but if I do, when, one thing that bothered me is the fact that. He had to point out that my airspeed was getting lower than the VM the V speed that you want on a single engine. And it bothered me that he had to point that out and I wasn't naturally noticing that. And what went through my head is, yo, if I was ever in the in a plane with a, a student, would I have noticed that if I didn't bust my check ride? Would I be as vigilant on my airspeed on a single engine if I didn't bust a check ride. And, um, I'm actually thankful it happened because I don't know, like, I, I think it's, it makes it, it made me, I uh, only did two flights afterwards with it, but like super vigilant on my airspeed on single engine. Like, I don't know, like I'm actually thankful that I busted that check ride.
2: That is how you learn, you know, is, is making a mistake that, you know, comes to your attention, whatever, but doesn't kill you. Uh, I mean, that's how I've learned so much. And it's then you'll find throughout your career, it's frustrating when you go fly with people who have somewhat skated through. They don't have your same respect level for certain things that you have acquired by, you know, trial and error and some kind of getting some licks. I mean, that's just the way it goes.
1: You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I was going through and it was stressing me out that I didn't bust a check ride, but it's weird. The stress that I had not failing a check ride was the stress that I felt like I sucked as a pilot because I did not fail a check ride. And it's super, it's a weird way to think, but it bothered me that I hadn't failed one. So I felt like that I was skating by, um, I never had the same DPE. So I felt like maybe um, because I was getting new DPEs. I had a DPE, they flew in from Maryland for my private that I've I've never had. Nobody's ever had new um, DPE on instrument, never had the same DPE DPE at all. And I felt like I was skating by and it was really, really bothering me that I hadn't failed the check ride. So I felt like I wasn't, I, I didn't feel confident because I didn't feel like I was being challenged. And it's not that it was easy. It's that, I just thought maybe I was, I don't know. And multiple DEs, uh-huh. D- DPEs. Uh, yeah, I just said that, uh, you know, I had multi- multiple DPEs and it was, it bothered me that, um, you know, because I haven't failed the check right and I had different DPEs. So I was thinking like what you had said, I, was, I skated by like, I don't know, coincidentally having new DPEs all the time, maybe you know they're more lenient with you for some weird reason so I didn't feel um confident like I didn't feel as confident as a pilot even though I went six for seven check rides it bothered me like it I don't know like I I just feel like I didn't earn my check rides and um at all like it's super weird because you'd think oh man you, you didn't bust a check ride you'd get like a little cocky and you're like oh yeah you know I know what I'm doing but Uh, I had the different effect on me. Like it it just made me feel like uh, I didn't know what I was doing because I didn't feel a check ride. And, um, when I, but what I was saying was when I busted my MEI, like it was, it was a huge relief. Like it it was weird because everybody was like, oh man, dude, because you know, the importance of not busting a check ride. So everybody was like, yeah, man, sorry, dude. Like it's, uh, you know, sorry. And I was like, nah, like, I'm good. Like if it's like a huge weight off my shoulders and, um, yeah, it just, I don't know. Uh, I I'm thankful it happened because I, I, like I was saying, I don't know if you caught that earlier. It just made me more vigilant with things, um, like airspeed and and stuff like that for the multi-engine if I ever become an instructor for a multi-engine, which no interest.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I can understand that too. That, that, that failure is going to have zero bearing on your career zero there's guys flying f-18s there's guys flying airline you know major airlines that have all failed check rides just it's gonna happen yeah oh so, yeah i mean it's they, it won't even be if anything you can when you get that interview you can turn it into a talking point which is all interviews are ever about is turning negatives into positives and that's yeah. one more easy like you just described that is all the same material that you need to go tell them at an interview what it did for you for your growth your aeronautical decision making you know what, how it made you better as a pilot I mean I think that's that's it, it won't even be it's not even a blemish on your record
0: the only time I ever it ever came up and it wasn't like in person asked about it it was just part of their um, uh, application process that it, Tropic Ocean Airways had asked if I'd ever busted a checkride it's the only time it's ever come up, I've, and I and I answered no, and I didn't. I didn't get the job, so <laughs> I've, n- I've
2: never been asked. Prior. Never been asked. No. No. I mean, I like on like an application. I filled it out on an application, but verbally, I've never been asked.
1: Okay. When they when they do ask, from what I've heard, they only are typically asking for private instrument com single, and if you do com and com multi. They're not usually asking for CFI, double I, and MEI if you've done it.
2: In that, um, and actually, even more recently, the more recent uh, airline application i have done, if I remember correctly, they ask about things in the last five years. Like they even put a timeline stipulation on it. So for you, because everything was so condensed, it would all fall under the same thing. But yeah, yeah I, I I don't. I don't remember them singling out necessarily or delineating between the CFI level certificates versus, you know, the, the commercial and, and private level. Um, I don't remember that, but that makes sense. I mean, we've talked about the failure rate for CFI candidates. It's very high comparatively to to the other, you know, uh, certificate levels. So I, I think it'd be a little bit unfair and I don't know that it would tell you the story that you're looking to hear as an interviewer, as a company looking to hire a pilot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. Just because you didn't fail a CFI check ride, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you know, Neil Armstrong. You just maybe, you know, Santa Claus was giving out CFI certificates that day. You know, <laughs> you ha- you had a good day. You had a very easy uh, DPE. There's a lot of the stars lined up. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that, that that that's really something that, that I would um hold against somebody. And maybe I'm saying that because I did fail my min, my initial. I don't know. But yeah, I wouldn't hold any failure. I mean, if you fail every single one on the first try, that's probably bad. That's an issue. Yeah. That's an issue. But you fail your CFI, your CFI, any, anything in the CFI level, I wouldn't. Yeah, CFI check
0: rides are rough. They can be rough.
1: Yeah totally. Yeah. Check rides in general. Like I, I would personally be, because you, you hit the nail on the head earlier where you said a lot of people, if they don't have failures, they skate by and that's very factual. We, I have some students in, um, the school that I'm going to, um, there's certain DPEs that you're guaranteed to pass. If you get this DPE, you're guaranteed to pass. So, like, there's a couple kids that um, we I fly with or flied with. They're behind me. Um, dude, they're double flying as much as they can because they know that DPE is down here this weekend. And they'll do anything they can to get their calm, single, multi-check ride with them. And they make it happen, and they don't fail a check ride. And, you know, I think those are more dangerous pilots than the pilots that fail a check ride.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if you don't
2: have, I mean, we're all human. If you don't have little blemishes here and there, it, it's kind of, it's almost more like, so who do you know? Really, yeah. how much flying have you done? Those sorts of things. Those are the, those are the questions that would come to my mind if I were an interviewer for, you know, FedEx or something like that. That's what I want to know. If yeah. you don't have talking points, if I can't comb through your log and be like, hey. You know, there's this line that this DP wrote in there, or this FAA inspector wrote in there. You know, you don't have much history to talk about. You're kind of boring. Yeah. I'd rather have somebody that I can talk to that's like relatable, another human being, like, hey, I see you failed your uh, CFI initial. Tell me about that. What'd you learn from that? You know? Yep. I, I, think, I think that's much more important, a much more, uh, uh, a very valuable takeaway. You know, for uh, for you in your flying career, because I pretty much make it a goal. But this because I'm nuts. I, I like to pick apart my flying. So when I'm done, and there's a perceived, you know, I come home and tell my wife, like, oh, it was pretty much a perfect flight. No, it wasn't. It never is. It never will be. I try to pick apart what went wrong. And there are always little things that I could have done better, should have done better. I'll try to do better next time. But if I do that better, then I drop the ball somewhere else. That is just the way it goes. Um, one of my um, cousins, this is just obviously more for, for the listeners. He is a um, director. He is the director uh, of Flight Standards for the large and super mid um, category aircraft and net jets. And I believe his, his title may have changed. He might be back out on the line, but he, he flies some of the bigger stuff for net jets, but very accomplished pilot. One of the best pilots I've ever flown with um, hands down. Um, He said, if every time you go fly and you have like a journal and every time you go on a trip, you know, write down something that, that you did wrong or that you could do better on the next one. As soon as you, at the end of a long career, can no longer, you're so good that you can no longer write anything down on each flight that you could do better or that you did wrong, it's time to hang it up. Because that means your mind isn't clear. You're not thinking about it correctly because there's always something you can do better. I'm not saying that as eloquently as he put it, but and I, and I really took that to heart. You know, he's he's like 20 years older than me, so he's he almost more like a father figure in in that regard. But I take his aviation experience, you know, you know, I take it very seriously. You know, I really appreciate his his knowledge and uh, skill level in it. And it's just something I've always ever since he told me that. That's the way I have felt. I'm not writing things down in a journal per se. But I'm thinking about it. After every perceived perfect flight, there are small things that I could have done better. Did I handle my FO as good as I should have? Did I say that when when I was articulating something that I wanted them to do? Even something as minute as that. And that is the, even that is making it sound like I'm a better pilot than I am. Because it, I would never have to go to that kind of minutia to, to look for something I did wrong. There are much better... Bigger glaring things that I've done wrong prior to that, but yeah, as soon as you think you're doing everything perfect, I mean, it's 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 time to hang it up because you're missing stuff, you know. Yeah, and and that like, that's back to the the feeling of the check ride. It's 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 a learning thing. Every have you noticed that every time you've gotten a new certificate level, everybody always says it's a license to learn, and it is, it is. Every type rating I've gotten, every you know ATP, and I have four type ratings. It's always a license to learn every single time I have 6,500 hours and it's a license to learn every single time I go get in that airplane. It is. And it always will be. So failing a CFI initial and MEI, that's nothing. That is, that is a learning experience that you, and, and you've said it, you haven't said in this words, but you should cherish it. And, and I think that you do the way you've described it. It's, I mean, you are taking it to heart exactly the way you should you're not looking at it so much as oh man i failed but it's like oh man i failed and it it kind of shine a light on at the time something that i may have missed this time it didn't kill me the next time it might have yeah and now that problem solved so now it's on to conquering the next one you know
1: yeah Yeah. good advice that that, that's what scared me about the check ride that you know, my DP had to point out, which is what you said, you know, I'm happy that he pointed it out instead of me never noticing with his student and then killing the two of us. Yeah.
2: Yep. VMC rolling it in right into the ground, playing lawn darts.
1: 100%. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a lot of, um, a lot of everything you said is, is factual and it goes with, um, fear because a lot of, if you look at professional athletes with MotoGP, g p Uh, motorcycle racing formula one racing a lot of uh interviews that are done on people who retire say that once they lose the fear of racing um they retire because they'll kill themselves if they no longer have the fear and you constantly correcting errors and noticing things that you do subconsciously it's a fear of i just made this mistake while flying like with me like you if i'm all my check rides i could tell you so many ways i could have failed a check ride and it pisses me off and it's the fear of not being as good as i should be and then needing to get better and that's where my mistakes are if i'm doing a steep turn and i lose uh 50 feet close to 100 feet and correct it i'm like oh like i'm not good at steep turns i need to get better at it and uh so that's me like what you're saying but i look at it as like a fear thing once I lose my fear, I'll walk away
2: 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, putting in those terms. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. However, yeah. Well, I remember, do, I can relate to that because flying the
0: islands, I remember flying up in Northern Ohio. It's, and still now when I do it now, but it, it was especially focused doing some of the operations we do up there. It's like every time I took off, I'm like, okay, don't screw this one up because, you know, like night landing, VFR night landing at, you know, Scott has left us so he can't weigh in. He's just gone. He went to bed. Uh, Landing at Scott's airport at night. Scott doesn't have runway lights at his airport there. Uh, And, like, that was, like, Scott and I joke about that, but, like, we've had conversations, like, this is serious with us. Like, that's not a joke. And, like, I used to do it all the time to come back from work when I worked on the island and it's like, yeah, it's the, um, Cochran had a good way to phrase it. I can't remember how he phrases it. He's like, it's, it's like a healthy respect. He's like, remind me next time he's on, I don't know if he's comfortable talking about it, but he's got a story about a, a buddy, uh, who passed away cause he just like had no fear. Uh, flying like it just he didn't have that fear brain. I don't want to, I don't want to go into it, it's not my story to tell. But uh, the guy's no no longer with banner towing, right? No, this is Jack
2: Cochran, knew him. No, I know, but yeah, the dude was banner towing, right?
0: Yes, you know the story too. Yeah, okay, yeah, I remember
2: when all that went down.
0: Gentleman had no fear, is from what I was told. I never met him, but.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. I mean, as Brennan was saying, I mean, that's, you have to, you have to have the, you, that's, that's, that's the way I'd say it, the healthy respect. I mean, cause as soon as you don't respect what you're doing and you take it to, you know, like you said, laissez faire, I mean, that's, that that's what I see all that's what I deal with all the time. And it frustrates the hell out of me. I mean, I, yeah, I lose sleep over it all the time. Yeah.
1: All right. What, what's the uh what's the minimum hours for the company that you work for to go work over there?
2: Oh, that's a good question. They have all kinds of goofy minimums. I don't think it's that. That's a really good question. See, like I said I have 6500 hours, so like no minimum okay. really okay. matters to me anymore. And yeah. you know I mean um I don't know. I'm sure they're doing guys with well cuz my FO that I fly with a lot he only has, he doesn't even have 1500 yet
1: oh okay so, so he probably got on right around 6 7 what's that he probably i notice a lot of companies will start hiring around like 5 6 700 hours
2: uh yeah i know like you know from a minimum standpoint you know you need to have 1200 hours to do ifr 135 I don't know what happens when it's a multi-crew airplane, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know what the company minimums are. I know the insurance drives a lot of our minimums, not so much the regs. Um, so I, I don't know that we don't, I don't say the, the company I work for on the thing. You could edit it out anyways, but, um, I'd rather just, just be safe and not even say it, but it's, I mean, yeah, they're probably looking for a thousand hours. I mean, they and they are still getting airplanes. They are still hiring, which is crazy. They've had the busiest year they've had in a long time, if ever. Some of the months, like these more recent months, the busiest months they've
1: ever had. They've been in business since two thousand one. That makes sense. Nobody's wanting to fly, um, you know, the major airlines. That, right. who can Who can afford it? They'd rather right. be on those smaller private jets. Oh
2: right. Oh yeah. And a lot of them I think if they have the wherewithal to do it once, they probably have the wherewithal to do it multiple times. And yeah. you're not gonna go back. You're not gonna go back to doing that, you know, for a, some of your flying, at least some of it. You know, yeah. just be, the convenience factor is just insane compared to the airlines. The airplane no, doesn't leave until you're there. You know what I mean? The, There's the no to the gate.
0: The only reason I continue to fly the airlines is because I can't afford to fly private. Like It's the only reason because flying (laughs) privates
1: is just amazing.
0: If you ever get the chance to do it. I've
1: never done it. I mean, small general aviation private. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, So
0: I feel like I can edit this into something good. It was good. um, Good talk. I'm sure we'll have you on again, Brendan. You are hopefully this is fascinating to, to talk to someone who's like going through it like, as they're going through it. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like, a lot of people, like, Cochran and Eccle have been guests before, and they have fascinating stories, and they can, good guests, but, like, a lot of stuff they're telling about is, like, from 5, 10, 15 years ago. You know what I mean? We're like, you're just, you're going through it, like, now. Like, this is getting released, you know, within a month of us recording it. Like, this is, you know, what what you're happening now, which I just, I, I think is... Pretty genuine, pretty interesting. Um, before we wrap this up, um, we have scrapped an episode, um, which is why I'm confused about the numbers. I don't know what numbers this episode's going to end up being now. Um, <laughs> but we had an audio issue, and it's the first time in Far Aim podcast history where we love the audience so much that I just scrapped the entire episode we did on uh, NTSB crash reports uh, because we had an audio issue. Um, so, I need to reread this review. So, this is, it seems like it's coming out way late. Dave from Canada, we tried to mention this earlier, but I ended up scrapping the episode. So, it's going to come out like a month or so after it should have. Uh, five star informative and entertaining you three have such a great dynamic great convos discuss the regs in a fun and engaging way hilarious dogfighting stories when you are teens lol and always appreciate when scott puts in his two cents and has me laughing out loud in my card thanks boys dave from canada on the uh, apple podcast app thank you dave yeah thank you dave uh, we do appreciate that and
2: um scott would thank you too but he went to bed already
0: yeah, Scott's asleep again. Uh, it's and he, as always, he's starting to do this. He just gets tired and just leaves or uh, passes he, out. He
2: may have just fallen asleep at the desk. We can't see him anymore.
0: He uh, may have. Anyway, he keeps the he keeps the like live feed of his home office while for the whole rest of it. And, like we keep waiting <laughs> for a cat to show up or something. It's kind of weird. Um, but anyway. Uh well, we do appreciate five-star reviews. We're trying to get the, the written reviews. Um, obviously, we appreciate five-star reviews, but that's just it ticks up ticks the number on the app. Uh, if you actually write something, it gives us the opportunity to actually read it, uh, which we do prefer. Um, email is our preferred method of communication. My email is faraim at robertberger.com, spelled B-E-R-G-E-R. This is a German way, not this is a sandwich way. And Mr. Griffin is F-A-R-A-I-M at LeeGriffing.com, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And uh, Mr. who's already asleep, Scott Boris, um, is F-A-R-A-I-M at ScottBoris.com, B-O-R-E-S. Please send him uh, copious amounts of email uh, making fun of his manhood about not being able to stay up past 11 o'clock on a Friday night. Um, cause that's just not right. And Brendan, you never did give me your, your Instagram handle. Uh, what is the Instagram handle? Brendan note. Brendan said he does not use it this much, but he promised me he's getting a GoPro and it's going to start putting video I'm putting him on the spot. Now he's got to do it. This is just an idea he threw across a few hours ago and we spoke on the phone and now I am publicly shaming him into following through with this. So, um,
1: i got the gopro
0: he's holding now he's okay he's got, he does he's showing me the gopro now so it, he's, he wasn't bsing he says he's going to get more involved on instagram Brandon, what is your instagram handle for people who want to uh that's a nice it's very nice new gopro
1: um it's uh just bp saunders zero four b p saunders s-a-u-n-d-e-r-s zero four
0: okay um give him a follow
1: dm if
0: you have uh, any questions on uh, any stuff well, like i said brendan just just went through it um we um we covered it thoroughly what he just went through i'm sure he could be a wealth of information in months from now we'll have interesting things uh to to share on your progressing yeah. aviation career and um as always thank you for listening um Let us know if you like the episode. Uh, Feedback is always appreciated. And uh, thanks for listening.
2: Thanks, guys. I mean, it doesn't feel like you're being interrogated, does it?
1: No, not at all. Okay. All
2: right. I mean, mean, I'm genuinely, I am genuinely interested. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure that's clear. I mean, I come off very wrong. I'm not very personable.
1: (laughs) Going back to your 40 hours though. um, It's funny you say that because one of my opinions, um, have you ever heard the debate between Rob Machado and, uh, John King?
2: Um, I have I know both of those individuals um, but what is the debate? Paraphrase it for me if you could
1: So The debate has many different reasons on why they went from the PCS to the PCS uh, but one of Rob's biggest arguments against John King is the cost of aviation and John King is causing the cost of aviation to increase and Rob Machado is trying to keep the cost of getting into aviation low okay so hold
2: on John King is part was uh, one of the
1: big voices going PTS to ACS he was the voice of going from PTS to ACS because the biggest change was um what ADM it was the biggest uh, change from the PTS to the ACS is you see more ADM questions than you have ever seen in the PTS and um but one of the biggest arguments was um Rob Machado kind of laying into John King that he's increasing the cost of your normal individual getting into aviation so when I think of the 40 hours I think of the FAA trying to keep the cost low to keep uh, not at a dangerous level but at a level where it's it should be a lot higher than 40 hours, but the FAA is basically going. But we need people to get into aviation, so we have to keep it low to get somebody their license. And yeah,
2: remember, the gatekeeper is still a CFI. It's the legal yeah. minimum versus the CFIs. Again, the CFI is using their, a certain, you know, uh, perspective of a- their own ADM, whether that person is ready or not. And remember, there is another gatekeeper called the D- DPE. So mm-hmm. you have a backstop. But remember, the or not remember, I'm, I'm acting like I'm telling you, but I'm telling everybody, the audience, the listeners. Are we putting this in or? Whatever you want to do, man. Whatever right. you want to do. You're going to listen to some stuff that you weren't even here to, to listen to. I was when you. Anyways. Good. No, go roll. You were doing something. But you interrupted me, I and now I lost my train. You know how fragile my train of thought is. It is very fragile. It's Like Joe it's Biden. Very so anyway,
0: in general, <laughs> you're very, you very fragilely. Yes, that's yeah. true. That's true.
2: Yeah, sidetracked,
3: Ray. Right? Do you have the teleprompter? I need I one.
2: I seriously need one.
0: Where Do you have f-
3: somebody? as soon somebody, as the, as
0: soon as the budget allows it, Lee's going to be the first one of us that has right. a teleprompter
3: right. Well, and you need somebody like if we ask you a question, you need somebody else to type the answers into the teleprompter, and then you can just yes. read it off there. No yes Scott then there will be no nine, more Scott
2: and, and I need that
3: if if they if they have it too far away, you can ask them to move it closer, too, so you can Lee,
0: move, it up, move it up a little bit. Brandon Lee Scott and I's episodes with him sometimes as inquisitions, because we basically just ask him questions the entire time.
2: Well, I asked him if if he felt like I was interrogating him. Oh, oh, He's a genius.
3: genius aviation voice of a generation, so...
2: All right. <laughs> the COVID's getting me. All right. So, anyways, the <laughs> what the Can so the, the instructor would be using, you know, a certain part of aeronautical decision making of their own, whether that person is ready or not. Do they know what they need to know to safely conduct flight? And they need to kind of feel it out and do their best guess, their best judgment as to whether they will. But the DPE, so this is where the backstop, I think, fails it which is why I suppose I would be more in favor of the ACS versus the PTS. I'm an aeronautical decision-making guy. I use that word basically every day. Every episode, for sure. What? Aeronautical decision-making. Okay. Scott's Um, confused by this concept. Yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, when you have the exceptional flying skill that you two have, you can kind of take some shortcuts and not think about things before you do them because you can get yourselves out.
0: It's like you say with proper pre-flight planning. It just makes
3: Scott's head hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's just walk out to the hangar and get the plane out.
2: No. (laughs) No. Anyways, aeronautical decision making. The DPE will only get a small snapshot, you know, of what potentially could be thrown at you. Yeah. So they're not a true backstop. Yes, raw stick and rudder. Yeah. Aeronautical decision-making ability, barely, maybe 30%. You know what I mean? The rest of that is up to the instructor, what they have put you through the days you've shown up, them testing you. You've shown up to the airport, ready to go flying. You're like, dude, it's going to be thunderstorms here in like 30 seconds. What are you thinking? Or they come out, they're out pre-flighting, and you're with another student finishing up, and... They they're out there pre-flying like, dude, there's a TFR right now. Didn't you check? You know, I know you guys in South Florida, that's like every day, you know. Yeah. But so th- those are the things that the examiner is not necessarily gonna see that the instructor, like I said, they're the gatekeeper. And so, I mean, how much did the PTS, how much did it really change? PTS to ACS.
1: Yeah, I don't know because I never had to mess with the PTS. I, I've always everything I've done has gone by the ACS for sure.
2: Yeah, I've, I've done nothing by the ACS. Nothing.
1: That's
0: how I am. I've I've meant to
2: look into this more. But I just haven't. I don't had even know what the difference between the two is. So. well, we covered it in one of the early on episodes.
3: I yeah, think, uh, but we probably. went into
2: it. Yeah, I'm I mean, an here. aeronautical decision making guy, though. We'll see. That 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 can't be understated.
0: Well, Scott and I covered the private pilot ACS when you were in surgery for your hysterectomy, Lee. So, oh yeah, that's see, right, we did. We did oh, get into it a little great.
3: bit. That's Are you fully
2: recovered now, or do you still have? Still I am. Have the stitches, the stitches, or whatever. They dissolve. Know know what How does they don't take them out? It is all. I don't know if you they knew dissolve. this, Brendan.
3: They
0: Several episodes ago, Lee missed the Lee first has, forty he minutes of the
3: hysterectomy.
0: He emergency surgery to remove his uterus anyway
2: um and, and so my mom goes oh appendectomy or something huh she texts me <laughs> i'm like what are you talking about she goes that one episode i go it? yes. oh, her quick i guess i didn't even my, know
0: that's awesome that means no. my mom's the only one not listening which is
3: awesome my mom listens and i just told, i told her not to listen anymore
2: <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> not good
0: <laughs> Mrs. Griffin, we're happy to have you here. Anyway, uh-huh.
2: well, I'm happy. I mean, it makes me happy, but
3: you see that uh way off topic, but that uh diesel powered uh airplane they just built? That's Solera. It's like a
2: which which one?
3: Solera five hundred I.
2: No, I have not seen that. What is it, is it I diesel?
3: mean it's a a V twelve uh diesel. Okay, cruise speeds like four hundred and fifty knots. It has like a rate. has a range of like four thousand miles. Pretty sweet.
2: Wow. I don't know what all aspect of that is bullshit. Well,
0: that's what Lee's they say. gonna be researching till three o'clock in the morning. Now that you I know, this head, yeah. it's not
2: gonna take that long. <laughs> it's a V twelve diesel. Yeah, V twelve diesel, 450 help. knots. It yep. also has a range of 4,000 miles. Yep. let's put yeah. all the the Gulf Streams out of business here with our diesel. I,
3: I, yeah. the, I, I'm I'm just telling you what I've read. Okay,
1: it looks like, it looks like a blimp, like legitimately. It does look like a like blimp.
3: Like- yeah, he knows what yeah. I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, it's ugly.
3: It's ugly. <laughs> is it like forty is it like forty five hundred. Ugly. Yeah, it has it, that reverse. It's similar throughout. to a platys. No, I'm not a platter. It's similar to a uh, oh, a Piaggio. It's kind of like a, a Piaggio. Yeah, not platter. Oh, Pi- that's a nice Piaggio. airplane then, but I it's like a single engine, single engine.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, see that thing? It's
3: ugly. It's, ugly. it's horribly ugly.
1: But I mean, Elon Musk's wet dream is what that
3: looks that's like. What it's like.
1: It, it uh, that aircraft does not have a glide range at all.
3: Well, it says not it, it says How do you it has. Know? How do you know? It says it has a cruise know. speed. Know. It says it cruises at 450 miles an hour and has a 45 <laughs> 4,500 mile range.
0: It looks like something you'd buy at the uh, that adult gift store across from the uh, okay. dealership that Brad and I saying, worked at.
3: If it if it if the <laughs> stats that they if the, that company are publishing are true, it's going to put a lot of other aircraft out of business.
2: Wow, I'm I'm just. I mean, would cruise between 460 and 510 miles per hour, and altitude for 65,000 feet, <laughs> yeah. yielding a fuel efficiency rate between blah 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 30 and 42 miles per
1: gallon. Yeah. Oh, that would make sense. Why it can go so much higher because you know diesels compress like right. a bastard.
3: Yeah, it's and not. They can
1: they're, ram yeah, it they're running higher. off
3: compression, not not. uh Ignition. Yeah, yeah. I oh, forgot to mention earlier.
0: Before Brendan was a service writer, he was a master technician, so he
1: probably knows on knows, knows the motors as well. Yeah, I tried to. I sucked at it. <laughs> I'm just saying,
3: if the stats that they're publishing about this aircraft are true, it's going to put a lot of other aircrafts out of business.
0: It is interesting. I'll have to look into it more before we. Yeah. I don't know
3: I, about it. I don't know if the, if it's, if it's actually achieving these stats, but if it is, it's going to, it's going to change aviation.
1: In my uh, Those pictures that you were looking at from 2017. The what? That, the Solera, the one that you pulled up, the picture you just showed on your phone, cause I see the same picture. It says they're from 2017.
2: I mean, this is the airplane everybody's been looking at. So, I mean, or looking for. I mean, it can take off at yeah. 3,000 feet. It goes 65,000 feet, which is over every bit of weather there possibly ever is. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be flying with SR 71s. I mean, it's just yeah. insane. I want one. Do you believe the um, stats? You believe the stats? You think they're, you think that's bullshit. I am still trying to think about what you two were just saying about diesel. It is a diesel engine, though. Well, I didn't even look at the engine stats, so I don't know what horsepower or anything. It's a V12 uh diesel. Well, yeah, but how much horsepower? Well, I don't, I don't
3: know. I assume it's Probably geared
2: it's,
1: uh, more lower, more uh torque than anything.
2: Yeah, I assume it's I assume it's well, look geared. Look at the prop on. It. The prop is not that big. It's got a bunch of blades which I mean, is the same thing as long blades. It's got it's a five-bladed prop. 1 1 one five-bladed prop. So how much power do you have to put to something? How big do the blades need to be in order to transfer that energy to the atmosphere at 65,000 feet?
1: Yeah. You'd need a lot of horsepower.
2: And big, big blades. Think of the U-2. Why were the wings so long? Because there's no well, it air. Does ha- it does have long wings. It does have long wings, but you need the thrust. You need the thrust as well. It looks like something okay, Scott might says, find in his neighbor's it says, yard. It says it has
0: a,
3: it says a five hundred and fifty horsepower engine, which I don't know that that's possible.
1: No, so this says it has a red A um alpha. Wow. Zero. A red alpha A zero three um V twelve uh four stroke diesel engine, which is designed by a Russian engineer. Oh, and it'll it was planned for it's German, though, isn't time.
3: it? The German engine, isn't
1: it? Uh it could be. It just the uh, engineer is Russian. Okay,
2: so down, yeah, it does say a German company also says it can configure. Yeah, it's a German. So yeah, it's a German engine, but it says the Red promotes its A03, A 3 a kerosene powered, five hundred horsepower water cool design. Which I also can't believe five hundred like horse
3: could put could push that speed at that range. It can't. I mean, I'm not saying it can't. I just find it hard to believe that 500 horse could push only,
1: 450, 400 knots
3: 100. and 4,500 nautical
2: miles. I didn't see the range stat. I have not seen the range, the range stat. The range is 4,500 nautical miles. At 65,000 feet. Well, I mean, maybe the max range is not at 65,000, but the ceiling is saying was 65,000 feet.
1: Brandon, what did you say? I couldn't hear what you said. I said it only has 2,100 RPM. Prop. I mean, the, the that, prop that's RPM that's in range with most
2: turbine, like a King Air. They're it's they're RP- they're around in there. That's okay. actually high, like a King Air a cruise. The prop RPM is only like nineteen hundred. Really? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not. You know, it's not not quite like what you would think. So twenty one hundred isn't isn't that bad. But I want one.
3: Oh, how, I do. If if the stats is gonna if make if this,
2: if it makes five hundred horsepower sea level, what's it gonna make at sixty five thousand feet? I don't care if it cruises. It's got four thousand
3: mile
0: range. I don't care. Yeah,
3: if it goes, if it goes four hundred and fifty miles an hour and four hundred, how and,
2: can it? How can it do
3: that? It, I'm, all I'm saying is, I'm not saying it is or it doesn't. I'm just saying if the stats that they're publishing about this aircraft are true, that's awesome. I I mean I agree with you. I agree with you. If, if they're not if they're not true, like that's kind of bullshit. They're probably just trying to get investors to pour money into it, so they can scam money out of them. But if the stats that they're publishing about this aircraft are true, that's that's freaking awesome. Awesome.
1: Yeah. This, this says awesome. that in, in development, awesome. the range is awesome. one awesome. one hundred nautical miles. How many? One thousand one hundred ninety nautical miles.
2: Oh, that's way different than 4,500.
3: Yeah. Now I'm depressed. The stats I've had were 4,500 nautical miles.
2: Are you sure it wasn't kilometers? No, it says NM.
1: NMI. Kilometers, it says 2,200 kilometers. Were you you reading this? Uh, Everybody's favorite source, Wikipedia. Mm. Oh, that's uh, ironclad uh, then. Ironclad. uh, I'm not reading it out the plane, I'm reading the stats on the uh engine.
3: Okay, I'm on I'm on Wikipedia about the aircraft itself. And it says performance, cruise speed, four hundred knots, range, forty five hundred nautical miles.
1: Oh, maybe that's the V six version. Because red has a AO5 engine and an AO3 engine. They have a V12 and a V6. I'm
3: looking at the AO3.
1: Which is the V12.
3: Okay. The red AO3. Why is this
0: Lee and I are struggling to follow along here. <laughs>
2: I don't I don't get how that prop diameter is going to make the amount of thrust you need to keep that thing aloft at 65. No, I, I
3: don't either. It doesn't make sense to me either, but I'm not an engineer. I'm just saying, yeah, maybe, all I'm uh, saying is, if the stats that they're publishing about the aircraft are true, that's pretty awesome.
2: It is. I mean, that's a no-brainer. I mean, that's completely redundant, Scott. And I don't appreciate that you keep saying it. Well, you keep questioning me, and I'm just saying, like, I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just saying of if it course, is true. Of course, all those things are awesome. Yeah. It's probably gonna be, you know, a twelve thousand dollar airplane that goes sixty five thousand feet and four hundred and fifty miles an hour. It's gonna be great. twelve twelve thousand dollar airplane.
3: Yeah,
0: that's cheaper yeah. than your tripacer, Scott. Maybe twelve thousand yeah. euros.
2: Maybe you so can buy a new plane after all, all. I'm just saying it I mean it's just that's just too good to be true. So that thing can go to sixty five thousand worth of jet that I'm flying that has 1,500 horsepower times two only goes to 51,000 feet. In order for us to do that, we got to be stupidly light, so light that you basically have to at the last minute before the engines flame out, go you know just pull back as hard as you can to get there. At the engines the <laughs> will flame out. You don't have any gas left. That's how light you have to be just to get to 51. And this V12 piston diesel with one propeller five-blade propeller hey i don't know 26 fan blades per side it could be it's five
3: it could be an investor scam for all i know maybe they're just trying to get investors to pour money into this thing
2: and then they're just gonna file for
3: bankruptcy and walk away
2: i don't know but well aren't there other companies called solera that have done that no, a cylinder.
0: Solar panels. Solar, solar panels. Panel. Yeah. Yeah. Close. So. Solar panel, Close. Close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. This isn't. Once again, this is not the investment podcast, Scott. We run into this almost every episode. up, not yeah, uh, me. up. I
1: about. found another website that says it has a range of four forty five hundred miles on flyingmag.com. Flying mag dot com.
0: Flying. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Flying magazine. Yeah. And That's what I saw it too. I saw an pr-
3: range of
1: 18 to 25 what? miles per
3: gallon. What I read before was they were having issues with getting it certified to fly over oceans with a single engine. What about it? What about getting it, it certified to fly over what about across. That? Because I heard the that F- part. FAA doesn't, won't allow commercial flights on a single engine across ocean Yeah. That's that that's what they were fighting with last last article I read. It's not You're yeah, commercial flights with this thing though? Well, yeah, they want to do, so I mean, far off. Well, I mean a uh, a charter flight is technically a commercial flight, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Gray yes.
2: area. No, it's not gray at all. No. What the hell's wrong yeah, with you? Yeah, it's just, <laughs>
3: If you're paying somebody Zero to fly, area. You, like the if if it's okay, if you're flying your if you if you want to fly your your uh, Cessna caravan across the Atlantic and you got extra fuel tanks in it or whatever, and you're just flying by yourself, you can do that. But if you're taking passengers, you I believe you cannot do that. My well, if right I leave,
2: passengers to- for hire.
3: Yeah, passengers for hire. You you can't do that i'm taking the belly dancing team back to the the state side from hawaii well depends on depends on uh who in the
1: faa you're working with there i guess okay wow it says that this aircraft can glide 125 miles in still air uh similar to many glider aircrafts well the wings look like glider
3: it looks like a glider Uh, I'm maintaining. It looks like a s- adult toy. Um, well, I think it looks. you take
2: terrible. your wings off. So, I guess
0: <laughs> so.